Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. All right, we are with you today. It is Rothman and Ice, Anthony Rothman. Maddie Ice Hayes is back, and CB is at the switches. We are presented by your local Pella window and door showroom on Gemini Parkway. And before we go any further, um, Memorial Day and the fact that we are working and getting to do what we love to do, which is talk sports, um, it, it's also a, an extremely somber day where as we're memorializing the fallen soldiers who paid the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country and uh, their fellow countrymen and women. Uh, it's difficult It's uh, to find words to express uh, our gratefulness today for servicemen and women um, who lost their lives in the field of battle. Um, and, you know, there are many quotes, and, and I'm sure you've read many of them today, um, JFK, Barack Obama, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, George Patton. There have been so many across social media, Maddie. but we start the show today with uh, our humble thanks and gratefulness uh, for today that you and I actually get to work and do what we love to do. It's only right. It's only right that we pause for a second and get to everything else, you know, after that, because I'm echoing everything that you said and my thanks personally to all the guys and the gals and everyone involved to uh, put us in positions like this and to put others in, in our country in, in comfortable positions to go about their lives and do the things that they love to do on a daily basis. So without those involved in that area of our world, it obviously wouldn't be possible. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you to those listening that were involved in that. Uh, your protection, your helping, uh, you know, us keep our country protected, man. You can never, ever, ever talk about it enough. So just if you're around those people today, shower them with love, shower them with a thank you. I'll definitely do that if I run it to anyone after the show today because they are deserving of not only today, but uh, many other days as well throughout a calendar year. Uh, they deserve attention, love, and support the way that they provide it for us. So just thank you. Yeah. And this day is more about memorializing. It is not. Truly, it's not Veterans Day. It's not a. Um, it's a. It's a. It's an honor and remember day, and that's that's what it's about today. And and if you remember one thing today, it's that uh, again that freedom isn't free, and that's uh, how we will begin the show today. Uh, welcome back. I know you've been uh, gone uh, trying to wrap your, uh, you know, a little days around a holiday, but uh, look what happened. We put you back to work today. <laughs> Yeah, man, had to come in and chop it up with you guys. Like, it was a good weekend, man. Did some fun stuff. Got to see some friends from college and family and all of that. So you check those boxes along the way, man. And, uh, 
Get them in while you can. So, no, it's good to be back with you guys. I know we got a, a fun couple of days for you and I coming up here, you know, towards the end of the week with the memorial getting going. So, fingers crossed um, with all of that. But, no, it's great to be back, man. What's been going on? How you guys been doing? We're all right, man. I, I know we're going to get a little rain uh, midweek, but that's okay. I think for the tournament, we're going to be okay. I think for the – although I don't I, – I'm not going to guarantee anything. It's the memorial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, first day. We'll be like we'll – be, we'll be heading out to memorial. Uh, you and I do the show uh, Thursday and Friday, and then I'll be with Scotty Vegas on Saturday and Sunday to yeah. to talk about uh, what we love, uh, the golf tournament being here and fans being back in, in the house over there. And so it'll have a fun look. It'll have a fun feel again. Yeah, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a good time. We'll, we'll get, and, and you and I will get to see each other for the of first course. time in a long time and <laughs> actually do a show together. So that'll be fun. Uh, we got some day baseball today to talk about. Uh, I think your red legs go down at... Uh, yeah, if you weren't working today, you'd probably be down a great American. Uh, Phillies come to town. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Miley, I believe, goes today for the Reds. Uh, big series up in Cleveland. Yes, really right. big series against the Sox. Doubleheader as well, right? This thing, this thing uh, could get uh, very interesting. I think what Indians are, what, three and a half back, something like that, right around that area? The Indians Just, right now are absolutely, you nailed it, three okay. and a half back. This is who you're looking up at right now. White, Hawks are ki- White Sox are kicking it up there in the penthouse suite of, of the AL Central, but this is what it's about. Kind of, hey, let's make a little statement here if you're Cleveland, right? Like, everybody's been all over the White Sox, and rightfully so, with how they've managed some key injuries, and they've been able to keep that thing pushing, dealt with a little in-house drama with their manager, mm-hmm. but they're still rolling along at as of today. So hoping that both Ohio teams can rack up, you know, dubs today. I know this is a big day for a lot of people getting out to the ballpark and doing all that stuff for these day baseball games. So hopefully you're listening to us as you're going up to either Cleveland or Cincinnati for these games. But no doubt, brother, this is huge for CB's Indians today, man, to really, really say, hold on. The AL Central is not yours just yet. We got something to say about it. And they get to go against Carlos Rodon, who no hit them earlier this year. Uh, yeah, Tristan McKenzie will throw for Cleveland. Cleveland in the first game, and I don't know if they've decided who is going to throw in the nightcap there for the Indians, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. There. Yeah, we'll keep an I eye on that. I like the seven inning doubleheaders, man. Like I've been, I've warmed mm-hmm. up to these. I don't know how you feel about it. I know baseball is trying to work their way through some of these new rule changes mm-hmm. and things like that. But of all the new things they've thrown at us, I'm in on the seven inning doubleheaders. I like this. I actually forgot about it. Yeah. Actually, when I see these doubleheaders. Um, I I don't know. I I'm I'm indifferent about it. I I I'm not going to go nuts that they're playing seven inning double headers. But uh, what what's what's the problem? Why can't we go nine? Uh, is there just speeding a, up the process? Yeah, just I know, that, you know that's what ba- they bet up baseball is trying to do. They're trying to cut as many corners as possible to keep people entertained and just speed up the games yeah. and all of that. And I think this is just one thing they've locked in on that I I really do enjoy. Don't really like the extra inning guy on second base automatically and those mm-hmm. type of things. But this getting people yeah. in and out of a ballpark in two hours or two hours to fifteen <laughs> minutes, whatever, and shaving off thirty to forty minutes can make an absolute difference. So I, I like this idea from the league. I really yeah, do. I've never really been. I remember when this came up and we had talked about it and I'm I'm not really that into it I think baseball yes there are certain things they probably need to do to reinvent themselves a little bit but their biggest strength is their tradition and and it seems like people complain I, I know they have to grow the game I'm not listen it doesn't come out of my pocket so uh, it's easier for me to say this that they should stay with being more traditional and but you know, the business people will tell you, well, that's a loser's mentality as far as 
you know, growing the game and trying to get young people involved. Really shaving two innings off is going to do it. I mean, baseball has a normal flow anyway. That That's the thing to me is that uh, when I was a kid, we we would celebrate every part of baseball, whether, and maybe that's, maybe I just dated myself and that's probably the wrong way to feel. But when you had these uh, games that went forever, I remember watching the Cubs and Phillies and they play these games that went in like 15, 16 innings and we'd celebrate it like it was the greatest and you want it to go on all day. And now everyone's moaning about no hitters. Oh, we have too many no hitters. What are we going to do? The game is, is, is it's getting passed by. I, I guess I don't feel that way. Um, there is some romance to baseball still. It, it's it's the game without the, without a clock, like that's it. You the players decide when the game is over, not a clock, and that's why I feel like I lean towards the play the game, play the game. If it goes nine innings, it goes nine innings. If it goes more, it goes more. That's just the way it is. But I understand what they're trying to do. Um, doubleheader yesterday. I guess it was too sunny in Cleveland yesterday. I, I couldn't. Nobody could catch the baseball. Like it was unbelievable. I don't know if you caught any of this. Um, Savali got tagged for a couple home runs early uh, in the first game, and then Naylor just hit a mash. Um, but no one kept, could catch the baseball. Game two was the game. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but Tyler Chatwood of Toronto, four straight walks? Four straight walks, Matty. They finally That's yanked brutal. him. Um, J-Ram hit a bases-loaded sack fly to walk it off. And I'm glad you brought up the seventh, because when I saw him... It was a one-two pitch with the bases loaded. And J-Ram puts a barrel on it, hits it to right, sack fly. Um, and then I heard somebody say, I don't remember the announcement, and they've walked it off. <laughs> what? Walked it off? Are you drunk? It's the seventh. And then it turns out that I guess I was drunk. Um, okay, yeah. I, the Jays are the first team in history to play five straight Games of less than nine innings. It's kind of an interesting stat. Uh, Your Reds beat the Cubbies. Uh, I jumped out early on top. I saw that uh, Barnhart with the bases loaded. Arietta was wild. Uh, But they were putting the ball in play early. Farmer had that great play at shortstop. And then your boy Suarez gets 85 over the middle, and it's on to Waveland Avenue. And um, uh, Malley was – he had a perfect game through four. Uh, walked the dude in the fifth and gave up a hit, but then he came right back with three strikeouts. That's what you like to see when guys get perfect and then it gets uh, broken up, and then they don't let their minds wander to, oh, no, I just lost my no-hitter, my perfect game and the no-hitter, and now and then he struck out three straight. So that was a nice little bounce back. It was. And look, they got to just keep punching, throwing punches at AR because they're dealing with these injuries. And Senzel's going to be out for a, a while now and waiting on some other guys to get healthy. But that's what they're going to need is guys like Malley stepping up and even Hoffman now, one of the starters in your rotation. He's going to miss some time. Not that he had been great. It's been very dicey with him out there on the bump anyway. But they just got to try to stay attached to the teams up top in the NL Central because it's just been quite a, a ride for them, a roller coaster in a bad way over the last couple of weeks with just winning and losing and winning and losing and not being able to put anything consistently out there. Now, I don't know if that's all injury stuff mm-hmm. or it's a combination of injuries and bad timing when it comes to pitching and bullpen stuff and stutter stuff. Like They just got to get through, I think, AR two to three weeks here of just trying to piece this thing together because guys that you're relying on just aren't consistent 
consistently uh, there in, in the lineup. But I want to go back real quick, yeah. AR, to the Indians and the Blue Jays and highlight one guy, not for Cleveland, mm-hmm. but for Toronto. Because I think the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. story is incredible, right? When you talk about this guy and the pressure that he had to follow, following his pops in the league, dude swinging, looked like a 50-inch bat at the plate, swung at everything, hit baseballs out of the park. Then you grow up in that spotlight as this dude's son, mm-hmm. and then you become one of the top prospects in the sport, and now you're leading the league in home runs. You're batting three twenty three. Like I-, I think this story is really fun to see, and I'm glad that he played Cleveland. I didn't get to see the game mm-hmm. yesterday, but to just see him this year start to pay off on some of the hype, man, it's incredible because you remember watching his dad, man. His mm-hmm. dude was a serious threat in the box, playing for the Angels and all of that stuff, and now he's coming to the league with having to fill those shoes, and it's finally starting starting to happen for him and I think we're starting to see the beginning of, of a star in the league. Oh, he already is. Yeah. I mean, he's he's what? He's he's top top 3 in ribbies, uh batting average, he's leading the league in home runs, right? And, yeah, first and, in OPS. Yeah, like right. he's all over I mean, it right now. He, for a 22-year-old like him, like you said with that type of legacy to be a candidate for the triple crown um yeah. is is pretty special. So I'm glad you mentioned that cuz um, and and here's the thing, it, all these hitters, it's also about approach, right? Because mm-hmm. Kelnick, who came in for the Mariners, who I raved about you know three weeks ago and was so proud that I was able to get him in fantasy baseball, um, I, I had to dump him. I mean, the hype was too much right now. And so he's he's like five for 60. Like, yeah. there was just too much. Now, he, he hit one out early, but uh, I agree. You, you watch Vlad Jr. at the plate and, and his discipline now. Um, he, he, he's walked more than he struck out. So he's, he's going up with a great approach. And uh, he, a lot of people loved him in the minors, absolutely loved him. And now he's, uh, he's showing what he's about. So glad you mentioned him. You're right. How's the uh, how is the fantasy team looking, man? How are we doing? Uh, I was right doing now? really well up until the last couple weeks, and I have been getting absolutely torched. And I really like my team. I am getting. I don't want to make injury excuses, but I will right now. Um, <laughs> I've had dudes just go on these IL ten day stints yeah. for no reason. You know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton was absolutely killing for me early. Then all of a sudden, what? Thigh soreness and like, okay, here we go. Um, see you later. Uh, Brantley went on the IL. Uh, Cabrian Hayes went, has, has been gone forever with that wrist. He's gotta supposed to come back healthy. soon. Yeah. yeah Got to get my cousin. He's healthy. supposed to come Sorry. back soon for that, for that horrible team. Um, Lance McCullers out of nowhere, uh, for Houston went on IL. Uh, who else? It's there, been, yeah, it's, it's been, been a crazy, weird year, weird, uh, like in injury. baseball. We have with star players, like a, a lot of key guys for solid teams or we're teams done. that were going to be a contention. Seems like, man, a lot of these dudes have been getting injured a lot. So we'll see. And Kluber just went down after mm-hmm. he threw a no hitter. Well, they paid uh, a lot so you, for that no hitter, Maddie. <laughs> well, you, you got that right. They got one out of it, right? They got they paid one, a lot, paid $11 million it, but, for that no hitter, yeah, man. I know. I know, man. And that was the scary thing yeah. about Clubs, right? Like, we knew if, if, if he stayed healthy, he could be a very serviceable piece probably for them. But this was the big fear. You mentioned that price tag. You bring him in after the injuries with Cleveland and Texas and all that stuff. How long was Clubs going to be able to stay in that five man rotation? And it looked yeah. like he was starting to figure it out. And unfortunately, here we go again with an injury for the 
former Indian. So we'll see how he can recover out there in New York. We will get to uh, the story of the last couple of days, which is that Seth Jones has reportedly informed the Blue Jackets that he is not interested in negotiating for a long-term contract. What does that mean, and can this be saved? You know, we talk about Aaron Rodgers. Can that be saved? Can this be saved? And uh, Or is it mandatory that that you know it doesn't have to be in a way like it it's you guys got to roll with the punches and it seems like we've been taking them lately that's next rothman and ice on the fan one guy is fat the other is fatter and both are kind of stupid pretty much sums up the whole show Uh common man and tebow weekdays from three to six the fan your home for hockey and hounds you're listening to rothman and ice all right, welcome back in, Rothman and Ice. Anthony Rothman, Matty Ice Hayes. Uh, Bill Rabinowitz will join from the Columbus Dispatch at 1233. Uh, he had a nice story with Ryan Day in yesterday's edition. Uh, mental health awareness and um, coming out of the pandemic and what he expects out of his team this year. We'll talk to him at 1233. Um, Saturday night, Matty, Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman, who's very locked in and in the know, uh, informed the hockey-loving nation that uh, Seth Jones will not be signing an extension with the Columbus Blue Jackets, at least not right now. Um, I'm of the belief that he won't now, after hearing this news, if he has informed them that he will be uh, not looking to renegotiate. He currently has one year left on his deal, for those keeping track. Um, he'll get a major payday. That was never in doubt. Um is he the perfect defenseman? No, but he is a very, very effective uh, two-way guy, and he had a and he. So we'll take you back a second. You know, uh, Nashville's churning out defensemen, and and we got him. Um, they acquired what they needed in Ryan Johansson, and most people. Uh, I remember being on the air the day this trade happened, and I said, "This is a hockey trade. This is a hockey trade." Both teams needed it, and we started building from the back end out. And while we all know now that centermen, great centermen, skilled centermen aren't easy to find, uh, this turned out to be a very good trade. And we got something that we really needed. And he has gone on to be one of our – he is the core guy. Um, he's been great for us. Certainly had a, had a bad year this year, but uh, kind of rounded into form late when it was too late. Um, it's a, it's, is it a gut punch? Of course it is. Um, every one of these doesn't fall under the same category. I've been trying to tell people that over the last year and a half that Bob and Brad and Duchesne and now this, um, they're not, and PLD, they're not all the same. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, PLD didn't want to play for torts, didn't want to be defensive, didn't want to play for torts. Well, if torts was going to be done, then PLD knew that, and so he wouldn't even have been playing for him. So PLD left because he didn't want to be here, wanted to be back home. Um, Brad left for the Bright Lights Big City. Bob left for similar ocean, sunshine, Florida, money. Um, We were never going to pay Duchesne what he got. And it turns out we were smart not to. And we were smart not to pay, uh, spend the money on Bobrovsky, who, by the way, didn't even start in an elimination game as a $10 million a year goalie. Uh, we can go through the Josh Andersons and all that and some avoidable stuff, and maybe stuff isn't was avoidable. 
Um, not every move they've made has been good. This one, this one reeks of he doesn't like where this organization is right now. And he doesn't probably like where he thinks it'll be in the next few years. This is all about that. It's not about money. It's not about being the face of the franchise. That was all coming along for the ride. This one is, I just, I, I, I've been through it. I think he really liked playing for John, too. I really do. I think he became a better player as well. And I think he's now ready to kind of look elsewhere and see if he can check that winning box. Yeah, man, it sucks. You know, th- this this does suck because of uh, everything that you light out when it comes to, you know, the player that Seth is. And I haven't met Seth before, but everything you hear about Seth is that he's a stand-up dude. He, he's a good dude. And I have to imagine that he was probably in line to probably throw that C on his chest if, you know, Nick didn't circle back around and come to Columbus or whatever it was. This was going to be one of the faces of the franchise. He already is, but now even more so when you talk about that potential and what that could have looked like uh, next year and for years to come. So, it's unfortunate, and this is a problem now. For whatever reason, uh, we can't you know, get guys to stick around here in our city. And I think you and I have talked about this a few times, that it's going to be different reasons for everybody. And you laid them out. Now, not all these guys are wired the same. Not all of these guys like to do the same things when they get done playing hockey and what different cities have to offer. We don't know. We can't dive into these guys' minds. We, I had a good feeling after we talked mm-hmm. to Yarmo that they were going to cough up some pretty good coin for Seth Jones. That wasn't going to be a problem, and rightfully so. I think he's absolutely deserving of that. But how Seth Jones is viewing the the path moving forward for the Blue Jackets, I'm sure came into his mind, as it should, when you're a player of his caliber and you're at this point in his career. And do you want to attach yourself to a program that may not be in the thick of things for the next year or two to come or whatever the window is going to be? We have no idea. There's so much change that's coming at our hockey franchise here in the next few months with the head coach and trying to figure out everything that involves situations like this. So now... What do you do if you're the front office? I think you got to learn from your mistakes or maybe not even mistakes or just situations from the past when it comes to Breadman and Bob and some of the other guys. And do you got to go down the trade route? Because I don't think that letting Seth Jones walk for nothing is an option. It shouldn't be an option. You've got to explore everything that you can that's going to support your franchise moving forward when it comes to potentially trading a guy like this. We saw some of the return that they just got recently for some of the guys that moved on from last last season. We know what Seth Jones is about. The league knows what Seth Jones is about. So I have to imagine you're going to get something good in return, but there's a sliver of this now to where maybe just a little bit of the leverage for the team is hurt a little bit when it comes to the trade because now he's on the record, or at least through the media, he's on the record saying, I probably won't be around for the future. So there's a lot going on here, AR. and We know the boxes that this, that, you know, JD and everyone has to check this offseason, but this becomes probably one big now after the head coach is that you got to figure out something uh, in return for Seth, Seth Jones that's going to set your future up. Well, I, and I don't know about that. I mean, he's obviously worth a lot, but if he's already told them, if it's already out there, he's going to be going to free agency, then, you know, it's going to be difficult then to get people to trade for him, right? Unless they want to get that eighth year or they sign him for seven, but um, nobody wants to get him and then lose him. That's the other thing. Nobody wants to trade for him and then lose him. So, that's where this thing now becomes tricky. And But you're right. They're in a bad spot right now. Um, they will be able to trade him. There's no doubt. Obviously, yeah. he's a very coveted guy. 
Um, but it's going to be a real situation of trying to uncover like what would where you know the actual problem and we'll we'll do it you know maybe later this hour um if we know he's gone um one year before free agency could bring back something but not a ton unless the team signs him when they deal for him so now you're in a situation where um if he'll take less to play for a contender, you know, that's one thing. Uh, so there's a lot out there with this, and we'll hit on it when we uh, come back later this hour. But we'll take a break. We'll come back, talk to Bill Rabinowitz, Ohio State football. Uh, had a nice story with Ryan Day yesterday. You'll hear about it next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Radio. It opens your mind to stimulating conversation and live sports. And best of all, it still costs zero dollars. The fan. Ohio's sports destination. The hardest working show in the business. Or at least at this station. In their time slot. This is Rothman and Ice. Welcome back in. Hope you're enjoying time with family today. As we... Talk Ohio State football with Bill Rabinowitz, Columbus Dispatch, Buckeye Extra. He's with us now on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Bill, thanks for making time for us. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on, Anthony. Yeah, the story was uh, really well written, as always. Um, if you haven't seen it yet in Buckeye Extra, uh, Bill did an expose on the, the mental wellness uh, challenges and Ryan Day and how, how personally he's been affected by this in his life after losing his father to suicide when he was a young boy. I don't know if people uh, knew that. Um, when you approached him with this story, what was your angle about it, do you think? What were you hoping to get out of it? Well, I, you know, I knew that he was passionate about the issue anyway because of his father. Because I mean, he just had a long-time interest in it. Um, and so does Nina, for that matter, his wife. And I and I also knew the mental health challenges the team had to have had last year. I mean, they lived in more or less in isolation, except for going to practice at the Woody and, and games. I mean, they, they mostly lived apart from each other, and it was just a strange season. So I, I just kind of wondered how his background and sensitivity to mental, mental health uh, might have benefited and affected the way that he coaches coached the team last year and and uh i talked to i didn't actually hold him in the story but i talked to jim borchers just kind of briefly about it see if there was anything there and he, he said yeah that did a story on dr borchers the week before um and then i just uh, approached ryan and then he was you know happy to do it and so uh he's always insightful about things like that and, and nina was very helpful as well and i talked to jamie uh uh their head psychiatrist psych- i think he's a phd i psychologist um jamie Hool, and he was great too and so and i i was fortunate and, and talked briefly with um chris olava i'm doing something else with him down the road and and he was you know he he raved about it too and so i just thought you know this is this is a, a nice story to do just because first of all i think it's an important subject anyway i mean mental health people people have really struggled with mental health because of the pandemic, it's exacerbated a lot of people's uh, feelings, and, and you know it's it's made the issue kind of come to the forefront more than it would have otherwise. And and I you know, I just thought it was a worthy story. 
You know, Bill, I enjoyed the piece. I really did. And I think some people should really get over and check that out. But like for the, for our listeners that haven't had a chance to read the piece that you put together, maybe kind of walk us through who are some of the other people that help out Coach Day when it comes to, you know, helping out the players and what roles they play to really get these guys to say, Hey, you can come talk to us about anything. Who are some of the other people outside of the coaching staff that these players can rely on? Yeah, I mentioned Jamie Hull, who's their, the head of their kind of it's a four-person department. They're actually going to hire a fifth person who is going to be a, a psychiatrist that will work with them 20% of the time, one day a week. Um, so, and psychiatrists, unlike psychologists, can prescribe medication. So that will be uh, an added benefit in August when he starts. His name is Josh Norman. Uh, and Candace Williams is going to be, last year they had the four uh, people on their team kind of rotated from sport to sport. They didn't have a dedicated person for football, that is. Uh, Candace Williams will be that person this year. It's not the only sport she'll do, but they're kind of, kind of um, assigned uh, their counselors or therapists or, you know, or psychologists to, um, to different teams. So I think they hope that that makes their relationship stronger with each of those athletes. They'll be able to spend more time with them. But, but it really starts with Ryan Day, honestly, and, and Gene Smith above him. Uh, Ryan Day has invited those psychologists to be around the team all the time, so they kind of don't think of them as the guys in the white coats. You know, they they're just familiar with them. They're on the sidelines of practice, and and uh, you know, all of it is just part of his his um, plan and his desire to to erase any kind of stigma that there might be uh, regarding mental health. If somebody breaks an arm or has a, a physical injury, nobody bats an eye. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some people. I think it's it's diminishing and hopefully it disappears entirely but some people have a stigma about um coming forward or or asking for help when it's a mental issue um and it's tricky because you can't take an x-ray of the brain and say okay this is what's going on it's it's just a much trickier thing um but ryan day i think it starts with him i think mickey marotti plays a role too because he's around these guys the head strength coach he's around these guys all the time and, and and he's i know interested in that part of it i mean he's very attuned to to the mental side of things. And so I, I really think it's a program-wide thing, but I think Ryan Day is at the center of it. Talking with Bill Rabinowitz, Columbus Dispatch, Buckeye beat writer. Here's the great irony in my mind, Bill, and this is something why I think it's very cool that Ryan Day has come out with this and has been very strong for it. In sports, we are taught to break through mental challenges. Um, a lot of these guys deal with stuff off the field that they have to shelve when they're coming into the team concept and then go back, they use it as an outlet, right? That's what sports technically was always sure. about was sure. an emotional outlet. But now, you know, you ask these, these guys to, you know, there's the old phrase, tough it out. Um, that you want to weed out the weak minded. You want to be able to break through from physical and how it affects you mentally. That's what sports has always been about. You don't think you can take one more step and then you do. Um, there's a breakthrough there. And the fact that he's trying to weave this, into a high-powered, high-pressured football team that has pressure of winning a national title every year is pretty amazing to me. And I, and, and I don't know, that, that may be a deeper conversation for another day on how here you get these big, strong, tough football players who aren't really programmed to say, I have an issue or I'm, uh, I'm weak in certain areas or something's affecting me and I'm bringing it to the team. Um, I'm glad that he's talking about that because if you're a talent, 
you want to be able to break through the mental stuff off the field so you, you can be the best player you can be. Um, don't you find that is the biggest irony in this world of only the strong survive, especially at that level? Yeah, it's interesting. The first quote of my story uh, is, is about is kind of about that. And he likened it to lifting weights. That, that you must, your body's got to get conditioned to it. I mean, I'll just read you the quotes right in front of me. Yep. He said, if you're strong and you have really good mental health, when you go through difficult times, you come out the back end and actually become stronger. I think for a lot of us, it made us stronger. Now that we're coming back, coming out the back end of it, I know that a lot of people are doing some good self-works, trying to make sure – uh, that they get themselves healthy. So it is like, it's like uh, lifting weights. I and mean, if you were, you know, I, I think that he, look, Ohio State's program is built on toughness. They, they generally recruit four and five star guys who've been told they're great their whole athletic lives. They get to Ohio State and Mickey Marotti de recruits them. You're nothing now, kid. Uh, you start, got to start from the bottom. And for a lot of them, it's culture shock, really all of them. It's a matter of how they adapt to it. But, they also don't want to do that without having the safety net of knowing that, okay, if it's too much for you or you fear that it's too much for you, come to us. We will help mm-hmm. you work through it. We're going to push you. To, we're going to push you. The word Mickey Marotti and Urban Meyer would always use was maximize. We're going to maximize you. Whatever we think your potential is, we're going to do everything in our power to get you there. But if there are bumps along the road, if there are problems, if you're having problems dealing with things, then come to us and we will help you get through them. So I think it works hand in hand. Yes, we're going to push you and push you hard, but we are not going to abandon you if you're struggling. And so, yeah, it's ironic in a way, but I think it's not because they do really try to, you know, lift you up while pushing you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes sense, Bill. I know you said you got a chance to sit down with Chris Olave, and he's got a quote in the piece about what this was kind of like from a player's perspective. I did want to kind of hit you on one little football question here. You've been around a lot of these football teams covering Ohio State. When it comes to this crop of receivers that we've seen over the last two to three seasons here, just your overall thoughts on where we are now when it comes to Ohio State. I know there have been great receivers to come through this program, but it seems recently there's a ton of momentum specifically behind that position and what they're recruit doing on the recruiting trail. Your thoughts on Heartline Coach Day, this offense, and where Ohio State is right now when it comes to special wide receivers? Yeah, they're in a very good place. <laughs> I mean, uh, to have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson as your top two receivers, uh, that's that's the best duo in the country. I, I think that's fairly safe to say. Uh, you might have people in Alabama that, you know, my question, but, you know, proven receivers? I don't think so. I mean, I think... I think right now you look at, at those two guys and you go, wow, I mean, those, those look like first-round picks. And then you go beyond that. And last year you really couldn't go beyond that. I mean, those guys dominated the, the receptions for Ohio State. This year I expect it to be a little bit more balanced because Jackson Smith and Jigba is back and is, is poised to have a breakout year as a slot receiver with Garrett Wilson moving outside. You have the freshman, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. looks great in the spring. Uh, um, you know, they, they just, uh, Julian Fleming who was hurt in the, in the spring, but was the number one receiver, uh, number one rated receiver last year. I mean, they can go legitimately six deep minimum this year and, and feel like they're going to be, um, they're going to be fine. And I think, you know, whoever the quarterback is, and no, I don't know the quarterback, and anyone who does, I think is projecting, I think that battle is going to go into the training camp. I don't know how far into training camp, but, you know, I, I, 
I know that uh, I, I think I'm on pretty solid footing that, that nobody knows who the starter is going to be for sure. Um, but whoever it's going to be is going to have a great supporting cast. I mean, it's, it's not just those receivers. You have Jeremy Ruckert at tight end. You have a great offensive line led by those tackles. There, Munford and, and Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, you've got <laughs> a bunch of running backs. Master T, Travion Anderson, Mayan Williams. I mean, you could go down the list. I mean, it's a stacked offense. And so whoever the quarterback's going to be uh, is going to be pretty fortunate uh, to have the weapons that he has around him. But in terms of your question about the receivers, it's as good a group that I can recall. And I've covered the team now 10 years. Um, at least at the very top, boy, it's hard to hard to beat Olave and, and Garrett Wilson, that's for sure. Good stuff with Bill Rabinowitz, Buckeye Extra reporter. Uh, go to BuckeyeExtra.com, read his story about the mental wellness advocate Ryan Day and how he thinks it's going to make his team stronger. The best part of the article for me was that he actually got to play tennis with Ty Tucker. Uh, that must have been some kind of fun to punish that ball because Tuck can, uh, can do that with anybody. But good stuff, Billy. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate having you on. You got it. Bill Rabinowitz. Uh, Columbus Dispatch on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. We'll come back. Maddie and I will name our Party Like a Roth star candidates next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. The best soccer team in the land lives on the best radio station in the land. Proud to be your flagship home for the Columbus crew all season long. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Let's all gather into the Kiki. It's time to party like a Roth star. All right. Solid, solid weekend in sports. Uh, my first candidate is 46-year-old Elio Castroneves. Mm. Uh, middle row three. I uh, had three wins in nine years and then got his fourth Indy 500. And now he joins A.J. Foyt, Alan Sr., and Rick Mears. Um, amazing, amazing, and congrats to Meyershank Racing. Uh Castro Nevis was looking for a ride since the shutdown last year. And it is fantastic to have a local racing team. What a match between Mike Shank and Castro Neves and the fact that they got they tapped into a dude that may not be young, but boys, he's spry. Mm. He had the passion, the experience, which is huge at Indy. We saw the crowd, 135,000 plus. And the fact that that dude uh, won the 500 was something special. And it was a wild race. There were, there were It was a four-car race with 15 laps to go. Alex Palau from Spain took the lead with about 20 to go. Castro Neves then you know, took it back at about seven laps. Palau was drafting on him, but his tires were kind of worn, so it was tougher to pass. But he got him with three laps to go. And then that front stretch outside pass with two to go. When Castro Neves says, this is the time. If I don't do it now, there may not be another. And they ran into the field on the last lap. So they both had to watch the traffic. And the fact that that dude took it. And to make this a party like a Rothstar segment, I will tell you that if you bet 100 soft-earned dollars on Castro Neves at 46 to win the Indy 500... You were paid twenty-eight to one. Ooh. So a nice little bounty coming back. Castro Neves is my party like a Roth star. I like it, big dog. I like it a lot. All right, let's take a trip back really quick 
to 2017. And let's go back specifically to the 2017 NBA draft. First two picks of that year, number one overall, Markel Fultz out of Washington goes to Philly. Number two, the L.A. Lakers take Lonzo Ball. But the third guy selected in 2017 is who is my candidate Mm. this week. Give me Jason Tatum, AR, cooking this weekend. Going up against the Nets, they're limping in without their second-best player in Jalen Brown. Kimball Walker's been nicked up and all this stuff. So all the attention, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, is going to go towards one, Jason Tatum. All your defensive assignments, KD guarding Jason Tatum, your best wing defender. Everybody's focused in on Jason Tatum. And what does he do in his last two games? How about Friday night? I hit you with a 50-point burner. Mm. How about Sunday? I hit you with 40 points. Last two game combined. Simple math, folks. Jason Tatum, 90 points. It's been really impressive. This dude's only 23 years old. He is a superstar in the making. He is going to be one of the faces of the association for a very, very long time. But to do this, I don't even care if last night came in an L. He is locked in. He is coming into form, and you got problems when you see number zero suiting up for the Boston Celtics. 90 points over the last two games. Jason Tatum partying like a raw star. I will give my final candidate to an Ohioan, Jason Kokrak. Yeah, that's right. Never heard of him? Doesn't matter. Outdueled Spieth. Took home 1.3 and change. Uh, dude went to JFK and Warren. Uh, became an Ohio State Championship golfer, went on to play at Xavier down in the Queen City. And this dude has pretty much come out of nowhere with a couple wins here in his 30s and had a three birdie over six hole stretch and took down Speeth, which was a pretty big deal. Put some pressure on him. Uh, Jason Kokrak, 36 years of age. And won the Schwab Challenge, and he did it wearing a uh, a peach shirt and then had to put that plaid jacket on top of it. Didn't matter. It was the Clash of the Titans. Took him down. Uh, he's a Texas guy, but he's an Ohio guy. And he loved the crowds, and it was fun uh, to be able to watch him win that tournament yesterday. So, by the way, didn't win over the first 200 plus tournaments of his career and now he's won twice this season and now the sad part is he won't be a memorial just didn't have a schedule set up for that uh, he's going to take a little time off hopefully he'll be back next year but my goodness that was a a awesome display taken down Spieth yesterday so well done Jason Kokrak I like that I like that I like it a lot all right my second and last candidate for this week, and I should probably say candidates, it's the writers of Succession. This list of people mm. is absolutely incredible. You can even throw Will Ferrell into this thing because he is getting some production love as well. The show is special. I'm so disappointed that I'm this late to the party. I am working my way through season two of this thing. Logan Royal, excuse me, Logan Roy, Kendall Roy, Roman Roy, Shiv Roy, the family, mm. the Roy family is out of control, and I love every single second of it. If you haven't watched Succession on HBO, I promise you, the two seasons are worth your time. They're cooking up season three right now, so you will be ready to go like me. It's an incredible mm. thing, man. I think you should lock in, AR. I'm telling you, succession Ooh. through the roof. The writers, thank you. You're partying like a raw star this week. <sighs> little obsession about succession. Got that right. 
Uh, we'll hit a Sports Center update top of the hour. We'll come back. Got a big media snub going on right now. We'll tell you by whom. And we'll get into uh, Joe Burrow and his comeback for this season and Kyrie and more fans gone wild. Second hour, Rothman and Ice on the fan. You love sports? We love sports. You love the Buckeyes? We love the Buckeyes. You love your mom? We love your mom. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Movie references you may not get, even if you saw the movie. This is Rothman and Ice. All right, we're back at it. Second hour here on Memorial Day. Happy you're with us. Happy you're spending a little time with family. Everybody kind of coming out of hibernation a little bit here and feeling good about it. And so we hope you're spending time with family and maybe giving us a few minutes as well. And hopefully uh, we're delivering for you. Anthony Rothman, Maddie Ice Hayes, and CB with us. Um, SI's Albert Beard took kind of an in-depth look at Joe Burrow's rehab and revealed kind of an interesting change. And here's the quote. With my knee, it felt the same, but I tweaked my throwing motion every offseason and tweaked my base. It was actually kind of beneficial for me because I really started from the beginning and was able to refine some things that needed refining. Uh, So the logical follow-up is, well, why? Um, Why are you doing that? Um, It's for a couple things. It's for him to be able to be more accurate while still being very powerful. Quote is, I just wasn't accurate as I was the year before at LSU, down the field. And that was frustrating to me because I've always been a good down-the-field thrower. Just getting back to the basics of that, really focusing on fundamentals. I just started running and throwing a few weeks ago. So standing and throwing and focusing on the fundamentals helped. This is the the analogy I will make. When Tiger Woods had back issues and he was coming out of his back issues, what was the only thing he could really do? Chip and putt. And that's a huge part of the game. And with Burrow, I almost feel like he's using this, well, I can't test, you know, I couldn't test this knee fully, so what else can I do? And so if he was tweaking his throwing motion or his base, now I don't know how well he's able to do that while he was rehabbing the knee and and what really came about there, but there have been a lot of dudes that have come back from serious injuries throughout this sport and I'm I'm here to tell you that I believe that we won't know anything about how mentally he will handle this until he has to handle it. I, I th- they might simulate it a little bit as the knee gets uh, to 100 percent, and then they they then they have to go. Then eventually you have to just say we got to go. And but the mental part, Maddie, will be big. It is huge, man, and that's. Kind of my only question about this, you know, outside of, you know, how well the, the leg injury is going to heal itself, but the mental part of this for a young quarterback, like that's a big deal, in my opinion, when you talk about the lack of trust, uh, when you have, you know, the situation that you had a year ago with the amount of times his body got hit and how that had to weigh on him to some degree. I, I think the one thing that's always been impressive to me about Joe Burrow has been his mental makeup. So I don't think he's ever going to fold or become a completely different player than we saw a year ago but I have to imagine when we get you know a month or two away from where we are right now and he's got to you know step under center and you know Trey Hendrickson's gonna be flying off that edge for the first time what is that like for him because I can't imagine that this is just hey I'm gonna step in here and deliver right away 
if I had to guess, it's going to take some time. And I think that that's okay. It's just when we get to that point, you want to get as many of those kind of weird mental reps out of the way for Joe Burrow as possible. And they're obviously going to do that. So the switching up of the fundamentals, is it the craziest thing? I think guys probably do that throughout their Mm -hmm. careers, tweak little things that they think can make them a better player. But the mental clock, does his mental clock speed up at all in in a bad way when it comes to, hey, I got to get this ball Mm -hmm. up quicker than what I really need to because of what happened to me a year ago? That's it. Because I think we saw the player that is Joe Burrow, and he'll only get better and build off of what we saw a year ago. But if he's going to be a little gun shy in the pocket, then we're going to have some problems. But until we see that, I'm not going to throw that out there because I don't think it'll be the case. And I like that he threw out, you know, in his sit down with Albert Breer that he wants this Bengals offense to be more explosive with play action passes and all that. And we saw how well that worked out for the other quarterback in our state and Baker Mayfield that you could do so much by protecting a guy when you have a serious threat in the running game. And I think they got the running back to do that in Joe Mixon it's just all going to come back to what we've been talking about at length uh, for a very long time now with that offensive line because we saw how explosive Joe Burrow can be as a quarterback uh, when he was at LSU last year their AR racked up 10 yards per attempt through the air the the last year here in Cincinnati it it was right around six or seven so he wants to get back to what he knows he can do and he's got his partner in crime now to do that in Jamar Chase and I think if Joe Mixon is going to be healthy that play out action combination between the three of those I think really can be fun with Chase getting downfield where you got linebackers and stuff biting on those play action looks that they're going to get from Joe Mixon and Joe it's a big point you made about being able to trust it Uh, and I don't know when they're going because I'd be it'd be flinch city for me man right away right he's a young guy he's really mentally strong he's been a championship quarterback um, to have this ripped from him so early and now have to fight back, uh, he's going to have to fight through a lot of that. But for me, the biggest part, and I've been saying this, is just that that plant, that plant and deliver when when bodies are flying around you. And there's no real simulation for that until they just have to rip it off and go. So he's about 85% now. I think they've been doing it pretty well. Um, he's not, you know, he's not feeling sorry for himself. It was like, let's figure out how fast. Like when this happened, and this this tells you a lot about him, um, his first instinct was, how fast can I get the surgery? Mm-hmm. How fast can I get it? Not, I need to decompress from this from the injury, go meet every surgeon available across this fine country, and really take it slowly. No, it was, I want to start my rehab yesterday. And that's what tells you a lot about Joe, Joe Burrow. Uh, long road, right? I mean, they, they rented a place for him in Santa Monica, not a bad place to have your rehab. Uh, his mom took off work so she could, um, so she could be there. And this is this was about trying to face adversity really early in your pro career. Devastating ACL, MCL, and you know this is no longer a college kid just playing video games in his room and getting through an off season. This this was an off season that he never thought he'd have. And it was thrown at him, and it's a great life lesson. He's he's in the ultimate profession, but my goodness, um, getting carted off, and now to coming back, and we'll find out on whether he because, and I don't know how you could simulate. That'd be an interesting thing to ask him about: is how much would you like to try to simulate things flying around that knee? Yeah, 
when you're it, when you're throwing the ball, not like hitting the knee, right? But just like actually flying around him and right. seeing how much, like you said, how much those mechanics that he's working on yeah. will be affected when he knows bodies are around that knee. No doubt, and not it's not a, only a ton of pressure for him, in my opinion. It's the other guys too, because like when these guys are gearing up for week one, and we're in the thick of training camp, like they're gonna have to have those reps where they do go a hundred percent and try to get to the quarterback as quickly as possible. So there's a trickle down effect too when you have guys like Trey Hendrickson and some of these new faces on defense, like that are really trying to learn the new system and all of that stuff. Like they want to get their timing down and everything, and going, hey. 85% against Joe Burrow, how does that affect them and all of that? Because we know how they're going to, you know, suit this thing up for Joe Burrow. He'll be in either that, you know, red jersey or some type of colorful jersey. And you better not get anywhere close to him. But everybody involved needs some form of game reps, especially with the preseason, the way it is now and all of that. Like gear up time is different and it's so delicate now because of the injury that he's already had. How do you go about that as a defensive? coach telling your guys hey we really really can't get anywhere close to this guy but on the same side of that thing we got to get ourselves going as well it's a tricky game but AR it all boils down Mm -hmm. to this man to me these guys up front Jackson Carmen the new faces Mm -hmm. Riley Reef Jonah Williams like they got to take some pride man they got to really take some pride this year because all lies are on them because we know what the you know the offensive specialists are going to do we know what Joe Burrow's going to do if you keep him upright heck we saw what he was doing last year when he was on the ground a ton but it's on those dudes and if the Bengals want to make any type of move and become respected more so than what they already are right now those guys got to make it go because if this thing is him running around like a madman like we saw a year ago the noise is going to be so loud around that group and Zach Taylor and everyone else because you didn't fix the problem and we'll go back to draft night and have those conversations about Penny Sewell and Jamar Chase and all that but that's it and especially a guy like Jackson Carmen he's got a ton of pressure on him because he was the pick for a lot of people like me that were in the Penny Sewell camp they were saying mm-hmm. okay well at least they went out and did that so everyone around him really, really has to lock in because if they don't, mm-hmm. that gets you in a bad, bad spot as a franchise when a guy that's already been injured at that level is getting his body nicked up again. They, they just can't have it. Brought up another good point about his running ability because it was a big part of what made Joe Joe. I mean, he's a really good running quarterback, really athletic, um, pocket passer, but with the ability to make moves in the open field faster than people probably gave him credit for. Just more... Um, tougher to bring Sneaky. down. Yeah, he he was. He is. So now, when you get a season-ending injury, um, now they added more weapons. You know, they added a, a premier weapon in the draft. Uh, I believe, and I think you believe, they're better than a four and eleven one team. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be. Um, you know, some so, people think they're going to be better in Pittsburgh this year. Well, it could be Pittsburgh. <laughs> last time I checked, Pittsburgh's got a 39, 40 year old quarterback trying to come back, and major questions right. about what's up front in front of him. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, maybe was, I don't know, what was the most unsung story from a year ago was the Pittsburgh Steelers starting 11-0 and to a first-round blasting in the playoffs. I wasn't like, buying it. I you know, wasn't. Maybe you weren't, but I mean, I think it was just an unsung, an unsung story about how a team was just, they find a way to win. Remember that? They had eleven. They were eleven and zero. I know. I mean, that's not easy to do in the NFL, right? And then to go from that to to getting bounced, but 
Um, well, it was also AR how they finished the year too. Cause you remember they limped into that beatdown right. from the brownies into that game where they were racking up L's. They're starting in week 13 where Chase Young and company kind of came in and put it on them there physically. So yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, some people think that mm-hmm. if they stay healthy with the addition of Jamar Chase and some of the defensive pieces that they brought in this offseason, that they may not be the team in the basement. I, I got to be in wait and see mode just based off of what Pittsburgh did last year, even before they crumbled and the questions we've had mm-hmm. about Cincy over the last couple of years with their defense in that O line. But yeah, I don't think it's crazy if, if people are warming up to that because of we don't know what Pittsburgh is really going to look like as they reset right now yeah. with the guy that you're talking about being at that age and, and all of that stuff. So still got to probably rely on Pittsburgh's defense because that will probably be there. Mm-hmm. But I think offensively, both squads, to me, I don't know what their offensive line play is going to look like, but you can make an argument that the playmakers for Cincy may be on par with the, the playmakers at Pittsburgh. They're young dudes in sure. Pittsburgh. They're kind of unproven there, kind of yeah. outside of Juju. So, yeah, offensively, yeah. I, I, I think mean, they're I th- relatively close. Yeah, I mean, I like what I've seen out of Claypool, that's for sure. But No doubt. Uh, but you're right. But I mean, you also, you look, you got T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd yeah. down in Cincinnati who have been balling. Yeah. This will be fun because Joe's going to come back and make his return at home. Uh, fans in the stands. Um, he's going to have to do it against a Viking defense that isn't great. Um, maybe improved, but not great. And now you have Jamar Chase. And then the interesting part about that is then they're going to, I think they go to the Bears in week two. Yep. And they may they may not know what they have under center yet in Chicago. Yeah. You know, choosing between Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. So, I mean, you get a Bengals pass, ru- pass rush that's beefed up in that secondary, and all of a sudden... You're going. You're going up against Dalton. You know they're going to want to play that big if it's Dalton or the rookie, either one. And so you and I may have just set up a nice little week three at Pittsburgh. <laughs> and who gets the early edge on the season between the two of them? I like because it. Uh, you know that'll be now. Defenses have a little more film on Burrow now, and and so. But uh, I'll tell you this. I don't. I would not bet against the Steelers. I would not bet that the Steelers would sweep Cincy this year. I'm with you. I'm with you. It feels like a split. I am with yeah. you on, on that. Right to me, like defensively, when you're Pittsburgh, and I know Bud Dupree was nicked up when he was upright. I thought he was a solid player. If you're Cincy, you steal one of their guys from their secondary, and Mike Hilton, who I believe was their kind of slot corner from a year ago. So if they get a defense that's close to the middle pack in Cincy, I got confidence in their offense outside of the offensive line. If they hold up and get a that offensive line holds up and they get a middle of the pack defense, oh yeah, this Cincy offense is not to me going to have no issue throwing up points. Vikes to start at Bears at Steelers. Jags on Thursday night, maybe a Rodgers-less Packer team at Detroit. Those are their first six weeks. Mm-hmm. I wonder what we'll be saying about Cincinnati after mm. week six on whether they're actually in the mix. Mm. We'll come back, talk about uh, another situation in the NBA and a star snubbing the media. Why? We'll tell you. Rothman and Ice on the fan. The only radio station still operating with an active booze cart. I'm drunk right now. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. The fan. Ohio sports destination. A former country club tennis pro and a high school baseball player. Don't be too impressed. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right. As we take you through 
your Memorial Day. Anthony Rothman, Matty Ice Hayes, Allison Lucan from The Athletic will jump on 133. You'll get the insider feel about Seth Jones' unwillingness to sign a contract extension with the Jackets. Uh, Not good. Not going to sugarcoat it. This is one where I was leaning the other way on checking most of the boxes, face of the franchise, captain, money. It all seemed to be there except for the, hey, can't guarantee you're going to win anything here anytime soon. Maybe that's the top priority. We'll talk to her at 133. Uh, A very interesting story about Naomi Osaka at the French Open. And she doesn't care. And I can admire that. But there's part of this that something more needs to be explained, I believe. So I'll run through this real quickly. Um, The French Open officials have dinged her find her 15 grand for refusing to go to a post-match press conference. She won her opening round match, and when you win, you go, and you sit down for a few minutes, and you talk to the tennis reporters, just like everywhere else. And if you don't show up, you get fined, and they know what they sign up for. This is all part of being a professional athlete. And some pull the just here so I won't get fined baloney, and get away with it, and some don't, and some go and just give the Play-Doh cliche factory, and that's fine too. And I don't think those the, the tennis reporters are going to, especially after a win, most, Maddie, most pro athletes are more than happy to meet the media after a win. Usually it's a lot tougher and more emotional when you lose, and you don't want to sit there and face the music. We saw that with Cam Newton. Um, hers is different. Hers is different, and I'll tell you why. Um, She gave everyone a heads up before the start of the tournament that she wouldn't be going to media events. And you ask the the question why, and the answer is she has cited some mental health concerns. So this is delicate. This is very delicate. You don't want to be trouncing on somebody who is having some mental health concerns. Uh, My question would be, a couple things, and you can tell me what yours would be. Mine would be, if you just want to show up and play tennis and leave, then what kind of mental health problems are you going through? If you're able to compete at that level, then clearly what's going on for you in other areas is not transferred to the court. Uh, You don't have to take a break from the game. You don't have to get yourself right or figure things out. She's still playing. So if you're still playing, but you don't want to meet the media, I wonder what's going on here. And I wouldn't know, and neither would you. And that's why when they've threatened now of taking these fines to, you may be disqualified. Then you got to make a choice. you got to make a choice on whether you can do the obligatory media or whether there's something we can work out here. Um, This is a very delicate one, and I'm leaning on the side of got to have more. Either through her camp or or something to the extent of, because you know what happens if she wins the tournament. They're going to throw out a reporter out there with a microphone. How great was it to win the tournament? Is she going to blow that off? So I don't really know what to say here other than it's very, very confusing on someone that is citing mental health concerns, which is very serious, which I would not take lightly, but still participating. So I think 
someone in her camp actually kind of let out a little bit more details. Mm -hmm. I think her sister, AR, uh, referenced something to she doesn't like being asked about playing on clay. I guess she's had maybe a rough stretch throughout her career to where she hasn't performed well on that surface, and those are questions she would like to avoid um, when you talk about some of these post-match press conferences. And that just came out from her sister. I think there was a post on Reddit that was uh, actually verified, and some media people worked through that and found out that this was a, a legit thing. So I, I don't know about that. I'm with That's you. That's mental you, health concern? A question I, about playing that, on clay? That is part of it, I believe, if you're going to buy into what her sister is saying and that if she can avoid hearing questions about that, that would be a good thing to help out uh, her mental health stuff of this. So I, I know that this is always tricky and especially in the business that we live in and we're working that, you know, th this helps right on, on both sides. Of it. We can help the athletes. The athletes can help us when they talk and all of that. So there's all type of levels to this. I think if you're the sport of tennis, mm -hmm. obviously you want her in front of her microphone before and after matches because she's one of the best players in the world. She's got a young demographic. I'm sure there's young girls of color that look up to her and all of that stuff. So I get it from tennis's perspective and I don't really know where to fall because it's hard to criticize an athlete when they start talking about mental health things because like you said that is very serious and that's nothing to play around with and we talked to Bill Rabinowitz earlier about how Ryan Day has handled that and it's helping his team handle that so it's a very real thing I just have questions for the people that always criticize these athletes but romanticize when Bill Belichick and Greg Popovich do it all the mm -hmm. time and give us BS press conferences mm -hmm. for some reason it's okay for certain guys to do this and give you absolutely nothing but we want to crush other athletes and i don't know why for saying or not or doing absolutely nothing as well so opinions are all over this place i don't think we're consistent enough with it but i will ride with her on this because i can't push back on mental health stuff i think it'd be irresponsible for me to do it well i don't get it then if it's a question about her record on clay that that's a sports question if she doesn't want to hear it then you just got to clam up when someone asks and then eventually you'll fatigue the media. Once they don't get an answer, then you'll go into Belichick mode. You show up, you answer the way you want to answer. I was first, my first instinct was totally to back her. Mental health, something's up. Maybe doesn't like the cameras. Maybe maybe can't be stage fright, but it could be when you're not playing. Um, it could be something, uh, some anxiety about it that she can't deal with. But it, but I'm not going to back her if it's, I don't want to hear questions about play on clay. That I can't do. That, that's a sports question. That's legitimate. If she doesn't want to hear it, say no comment. And those things get shut down pretty easily by media people anyway, eventually. Because eventually the media just get tired of asking because they're not getting an answer. Um, but she's, she's played in the French Open now. This is, I think, her fourth time playing there. Maybe more. But um, I'm, I'm all for a young tennis star having to deal with adversity mentally. But it's a question about your record on clay, and that's what her sister is peddling. I can't back that. That's Then, then, don't, then don't play. Then don't play it then. Because uh, those questions have to come, and she's going to have to deal with that. That's very interesting. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on that, because obviously she's still playing, and she'll probably keep winning for a while. We'll see.
We'll come back. Allison Lucan from The Athletic. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Every time Common Man starts to yell, there's always a chance he strokes out. So that's something, I guess. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The fan. And they both like to go to raves with the Bosa brothers. Here's Rothman and Ice. Hi, right, Maddie. Unfortunately, we've, we've become the show that shows up casually late to the date. Um, one of these days, we're going to find out the date is gone. When we show up, Allison Lucan with us from the Athletic Talking Jackets on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. Thanks, Allison. How are you? I'm well. Happy Memorial Day to you both. Yeah, you as well. I see a lot of people out watching baseball and doing their thing. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Uh, the Seth Jones hit news hit pretty. Um, I, I think people were fifty fifty on this. Let's not go there just yet. I want you to tell me about. Uh, the analytics versus the eye test. And I know he means so much to our organization. Um, do you feel there's the same feel out there in NHL waters about money matching talent and where he is in his career? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's interesting that Seth is in the analytics versus eye test communities, one of the most divisive players right mm-hmm. now. Um, he's actually rated out quite poorly. Um, in those numbers. And, and it's something for me, obviously, that's hard to reconcile because I see what he does bring to his team and, and to his game. I think there's more to dig into there. But but yes, it's quite interesting that from t- more traditional thinkers that Seth Jones holds quite high value, but that those who are looking at this from a more purely analytics perspective, there are a lot more question marks than exclamation points when it comes to his value. All right, Allison. Now that the Blue Jackets are obviously aware of, of what's going on with Seth, what do you think should be their next plan specifically for him? Trade stuff, let it play out. Like, what do you think is going to should be uh, the smart way to go about it for JD and company? Yeah, I think that you know this is a different situation than a few years ago with Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. It's a different roster right now, and and just as we were talking about value, it's it's fair to suggest that Seth Jones's value is never going to be higher than it is right now. There's still a year of his contract that could be traded. Um, There's still a return that could be received. And there's still the allowance to say Seth Jones is really good. He was just part of a not great team if some of those numbers are questioned. So I think that for this organization to continue to grow, um, unless there's a change of heart and a a document is signed, a contract is signed, that Seth Jones is probably going to be on the move this offseason. Yeah, I think there is a... First of all, it would be very weird to carry him into the season and, and in the rebuild and face the, the fans back in the building and all of what, what comes with that. But, I, I mean, listen, they got to do what's best for the organization. If they feel carrying him to the season to try to get a, a better haul for him, um, I don't know if anyone they, – they won't have that crystal ball, but um, the perception here is that – what, that they could parlay him into either a an elite prospect centerman – a future first rounder, an existing skill centerman. Like, um, what do you think it looked? What do you think a trade looks like? And I don't pin you down to it, but but it, I'm sure there are people that have you know kind of brushed some broad strokes on what a trade would look like. Yeah, I think it's it's an important question, and I think that it does push out the timeline for quote unquote great a little bit for this organization, meaning that the return is probably going to be a little bit heavier on youth. Um, and draft picks, as you said, there's just quite a few holes to fill right now for this roster. Now, that being said, there are a lot of pieces that Yarmo and John Davidson could look at. Does Patrick Line move? One of the goaltenders we know is probably going to be on the move. 
if there's enough return that jumpstarts this roster, maybe, but it does feel like this pushes out that, that rebuild, that reload process a little bit longer than had Seth Jones stayed on board. So that's kind of where I wanted to go because, you know, there's other guys on the roster that may be of value to other organizations. Now, who those guys are, we, we don't know. But when you pull the Band-Aid off, that is Seth Jones, that can probably take you down a path mentally as a fan. Oh, well, this is going to be, like you just said, a rebuild. So should they continue that in that direction if they move Seth? Like, do you believe maybe Cam or some other guys that we know their names? Like, does the organization have to get in that mindset, Allison, of just a complete tear down and get everything back you can? Or do you try to hold on to some of those guys and piece it together? Yeah, you know, and some of these players like a Cam Atkinson have control of their situation. He has some no movement language in his contract that allows him to be more in the driver's seat, possibly. Um, but I think that, you know, you look at other organizations, if, if this is about building to, uh, to again retain a position of strength as an organization, you're tearing down a little bit so that you really have a huge, strong foundation of talent in a few years. Even look at what John Davidson had done in New York. I mean, that team is going to be quite dangerous here, if not next year, the year after that, and for some time because of the youth, the youth that they have built up. So it does, of course, depend on the return. I don't think this is a total, you know, just garage sale and everything has to go. Um, but I think that if there are offers for talent, um, and particularly some of these players are going to have contracts coming up of their own. Is Zach Wierenski going to be looking for something different? Who knows? Um, so depending on what the player wants and then what the organization can receive versus what strategy they've determined is going to be this window for really fighting for the ultimate success, all three of those variables play into who may or may not be on the move. Visiting with Allison Lucan, the outstanding hockey reporter here for The Athletic, covering the Blue Jackets in the NHL. So let's let's now talk about maybe what the elephant in the room, and that's, you know, obviously Torts is gone. And, you know, despite what he did here, I know there are a lot of people that felt like there were some people that didn't want to play his style and didn't want to play for him. Uh, he's gone now. And then you get this news about Seth Jones, who I believe personally really did like playing for John. Um, and thought that he he made some real strides under him. But not everyone is the same, Allison, and you know that. Um, Panarin took less money to go to New York. Um, Bob was challenged with stuff mentally, and they wanted to take him to the next level, and I don't know whether he was personally ticked off by that and things that went on behind the scenes. Um, it turns out not paying him was probably the right move. Duchesne, it seemed like he was always heading to Nashville. Like There was always something about he in Nashville, that he wanted to uh, combine forces. Uh, is there one like a PLD or a Josh Anderson, uh, one of these that uh, maybe you would put more on management and how much attracting players to Columbus um, is going to be their biggest challenge? Where do you stand on management's role in this now? Yeah, you know, and you know, and for all those players you mentioned, and as management has said, every story is unique and different. And you know, even Duchesne and, and Bobrovsky, you know, those weren't there were not offers there on the table for those mm -hmm. two guys, and, and rightly so, as we see with Bobrovsky right now. In, in fact, but you know, I, I think that as any business, any organization, whatever they do, when, when things aren't going the way that you hope, um, unfortunately, as painful as it may be, you have to look and say what are the root causes or cause of, of what we're having happen here and dig into that investigation and try and fix those things that you can fix. You know, I, I, I'm certainly not putting this on management completely, but 
I think that we're past this point of saying it's just the city. I think that there's a ton of factors. Many we can control, many we cannot control. Panarin is a perfect example there. Just he wanted to be in New York. But um, I think it's important that everyone involved uh, take a look inward and say, what do we need to be so that we can attract the talent that we want to be the organization, the team that we want and apply those lessons. And, and when you have a lot of change like this as quickly as it happened, I think that, again, everyone involved should take a look and say, what, what can we do better? What are we doing right that we need to continue to do? And, and, and how do we implement a successful plan going forward? Yeah, I like it. Absolutely. You know, obviously, the Seth Jones, it took over the headlines here in CBJ land over the weekend. But can you kind of update us, you know, Allison, on where we are with the coaching search, any new names uh, in the mix right now uh, for JD and company? Yeah, you know, we know that they've talked to a couple folks, you know, um, Quinn, who was with JD in New York, um, Gerard Gallant, who's obviously over with Worlds right now, um, a couple other guys that they've been talking to, Brad Larson is in that mix. Mm-hmm. But again, this is now, you know, with the Seth Jones news finally being public and communicated, this coaching decision has to fit with that long-term plan we've just spent the time breaking down. And so what they want this team to be and when may influence their choice of who is sitting behind the bench to lead this group of players going forward. Great point. J.D. said the same on our show, and it made me think of what would be the probably the polarizing hire, and that would probably be Brad Larson. I think, Brad yeah. is, I think Brad's extremely sharp. I think he has a great feel for the game. The problem is, and this is perception is reality, that he's had to wear the power play. Um, it wasn't just him. It was the entire coaching staff. It was torts. It was, you know, they brought in guys to try to help it. It got a little surge, and then it would dump back. It's the players. Um, it's interesting because I think Larson actually fits more of where they are now and that he's here and he has a great feel for what they have. But I understand why that would be a very, very tough sell to a fan base that's hoping another splash hire can take them out of a a rebuild and more into that retool area. Yeah, you know, and and for me, the the questions around Brad Larson are actually a little bit different. Um, You know, this guy, he has has been the head coach at lower levels Mm -hmm. of hockey. I think that he is a great um, ambassador to a community, quite frankly. He's personable. He's great Mm -hmm. to talk to, knows his stuff, as you said. But we often see a challenge for an assistant coach who becomes head coach within the same organization. You know, assistant coaches are often, they're, they're the good cops. The head coach mm-hmm. is the bad cop, right? So, um, and Brad Larson has been beloved by many a Blue Jacket player. The guys really like him. They like working with him and playing for him. If he transitions into the head coach with the same group of players, that's a unique ask, and that can be a bigger challenge for him maybe than even the X's and the O's. Um, I do agree with you that the perception issue as far as the power play, that, that's, a, that's a PR um, exercise that will certainly be a challenge. But um, if they're going to do it, um, as we know, there probably are few in this industry better at that than John Davidson. And if he does believe this is the right move mm-hmm. and believes that it sets the team and Brad Larson up for success – then I could see them going in that direction. Yeah. Great stuff, Allison. Thanks for spending a few minutes on the holiday with us. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. You guys take care as well. And thanks to all of those who have served yeah. and given of themselves for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. Well said. We'll thanks, come Allison. back with a Buckeye Bolton after this. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Winners of the prestigious Platinum Microphone Award every year. Given to the best radio station in the world. 
no need to look it up. It's real. The Fan. Rothman and Ice present Buckeye Bulletin. Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Don't go through another air conditioner breakdown. For fast, friendly service, call the experts at Logan Services now for a free estimate and next day air installation. All right. G. Scott Jr., you know he was one of the top receiving prospects in the country. Uh, Spent a season here at Ohio State. Uh, And now he's switching to tight end. And it's an interesting thing. Richard Sherman actually encouraged him to do it. Uh, I don't really know the entire background on this. But I guess they started talking about it. And they had lunch together. And it started bringing up tight end. And why I thought tight end would be great for him. And explaining about the future. Because I asked CB during the break. I was like, I wonder if this is more on... Because if this is position makeup... It's not like it's gonna. He's gonna get that many more footballs thrown his way as tight end. At least I don't think so. Um, this is more about life moving forward. I feel like this is almost definitely NFL related. Do you feel? Do you share it? Uh, yes, I, I do. I, I agree with you, and I'm interested. CB, look this up for me real quick because I think in college Richard Sherman moved from wide receiver to corner. So I think mm-hmm. this is a guy that you could ask. Like I, off the top of my head, I think that that's what down, went went down for him at Stanford. Either he was a high school wide receiver and transferred her into Stanford and turned into cornerback, or was at Stanford and went from wide receiver to corner. So if that did happen, if I'm remembering that correctly, mm-hmm. then yeah, this is the right guy to ask. But yeah, this stuff is always that has is to, correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So this stuff has to be always really challenging. Man. Now he might move to safety. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. As an older guy, he's crazy. You know, no, gee, those legs aren't as quick as they used right. to. Probably got to move out there now for Richard Sherman. But, yeah, I always think about that AR, just how difficult that is, mm. right? Like your whole life, most of the time, you're playing one position and dominating that position, you know, junior high and high school and all that stuff. And then to get to, you know, a program mm. like Ohio State or even get to the NFL and make a switch, that has to be so difficult. But, yeah, I mean, hey, pick the brain of a guy that's done it before. So I think he was in contact with the right guy. Yeah. It's uh, there's a little more to this. We got Ohio State coming back here with Olave and Garrett Wilson, mm-hmm. um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, <laughs> Fleming. Fleming, and the guy uh, Harrison Amica, Jr. Amica yeah. Agbuka, right. the Harrison list. Jr. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot there. Yep. But you know, they lost a couple of tight ends too, right? Like Farrell. Houseman, those guys are gone. And Rucker so, came back. Yeah. Rucker came back. Yeah. Now, but he's the only guy with, with experience. So, Cade yeah. um, Stover, we saw in the spring game. Yep. I think he made the best catch of the spring game. Too bad it was out of bounds. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, there is something to be said for find an area that checks both boxes. If I can get on the field more at tight end and showcase my skills... Like he came here. I don't even. Know, I don't know what his specs are now. He's six three two fifteen, um, and certainly he'll he'll get beefy, and you know a couple of uh, whoppers later he mm. might be able to get into that. You know, yeah, like two twenty five. Yeah, like a 
Whopper with cheese. So. Yeah, and um, so, but, but here's the other thing: it I takes know that two could, hands to handle a Whopper. <laughs> you got that right. No. Here's one thing that that could probably benefit him too. Right? It's like his athletic ability going from that wide receiver to tight end. Not a lot of tight ends probably can move the way he moves and you know learn the route tree the way he has and being able to run all those different routes. So maybe he can carve his way out that way to where you become kind of a Darren Waller ish type of tight end. Maybe never to that level, but tight ends that we know are mismatches. Hey, you get a wide receiver coming over that may be more athletic than your normal kind of tight end there, then he maybe he can find a way onto the field, but there ain't going to be a ton of footballs mm-hmm. to go around this year because of the names you mentioned in that wide receiver room, so we wish him uh, best of luck. Alright, that is today's Buckeye Bolton. Speaking I got of, a, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, real quick, sorry. I got no. a, uh, a Vikings-Bears story that involves Justin Fields that I want to share with you at the top and see how you feel about it. Alright. I was going to say that you know we started talking about sandwiches and fast food places. Yeah. Well, sandwiches were always bigger when I was a kid. It always <laughs> felt bigger, right? The Big Mac, the Whopper. Mm. It feels like they're tiny now. Yeah, what happened? I'm, yeah, yeah. You grown. You're a grown yeah, man. That's now, what happened. Man. It's kind of like now, the, it's kind of like the bedroom in the house you grew up in. You go back, <laughs> right. like, wait a minute, my room was huge when I was a kid. <laughs> now, AR, back it's in the day, well, now it feels like you're just eating Whopper Juniors all the time yeah, instead of the exactly. normal Whopper. My brother always went with the double cheeseburger. The double cheeseburger. At Burger King. Okay. Yeah, I, and and I have to praise him because I think he made the right choice. I think he just, I think there was more bang for the buck. Okay. And it was a, it's a darn good sandwich. And I think he had something going there. I'm not Because I don't think it. he really needed the lettuce, tomato, and all the other stuff. I think he just yeah. went, he cut right to the, he cut out the middleman, really. I tell you what, I feel your bro on yeah. that AR, because, uh, you know, you cook up a burger for me. All I Make need really double. is, no, well, that oh. sometimes, but just give me grilled onions and lettuce and cheese. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm good with that. Ooh. I don't need a whole bunch of How stuff. How about grilled onion with a little barbecue sauce? Mm, a little barbecue sauce. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to have the barbecue sauce with lettuce. I think that's a mistake. <sighs> I'm a huge barbecue that. sauce dude. And uh-huh. I will have it on anything, man. Yeah. I, barbecue sauce is my favorite. I, I just somehow mix in the lettuce. The only time I probably would do it is maybe at Arby's. Okay. Because you get that Arby's sauce going mm. with it. But it's, there's something about it. I'm not going to go there because I think if I'm going to have barbecue sauce on something, the lettuce and tomato has to sit a couple plays out. Okay. You have to I'm, sit this one out. I'm not mad at that. Right. I, I'm okay with the barbecue sauce on the lettuce, okay. but I will say this mm. real quick. Give me my sauces on the side when it comes to my burger. Because sometimes yeah. I like to dip that thing in there. Give me a nice dip you want to, in, you into want the to control sauce. your... Yeah. Uh, of course, man. The condiments. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Condiments. Never use them. We'll come <laughs> back. Sports Center update, top of the hour. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Most shows just skim the surface. But Rothman and Ice feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for A Deeper Dive. Sponsored by United Dairy Farmers. Miss filling up before gas prices went up? Get UDF slow price lock with U-Drive. All right, welcome back in. We'll do a little buffet style on the deep dive today. Did want to mention that uh, in a couple days, that window creeps open for potential Julio Jones trade. Um, they can obviously, this is when it's all could go down because it minimizes the cap consequences for uh, the Falcons. And so, uh, now, he's a $15 million dude. Whoever gets him will have cap concerns. They've got to figure it out. Um, so, 15 mil this year, Maddie, 11.5 million next year, and then there's another 11 million on top of that. I like those. Yeah. I like the sure. two years two and three. I'm in well, on that. Our, our, well, yes, I like the price tag, but what is a, a Julio Jones going to be 
in those years, considering he's been injury prone, he's getting he'll be getting into his mid thirties. I'm not saying that he won't still have moments of greatness. You just one with him. It's always about consistency. No one's denying he's one of the great talents in the NFL. It's about in year three, paying him eleven and a half million. Can I get him on the field? I don't think I'm that concerned about it. Like I, I'm really not. Like I, when it comes to his availability, it's been solid. You know, going back to 2015. I mean, mm. 16 games, 14. I mean, like, I'm in. Like last year, he played nine games. So I think coming off that, it's absolutely fair. But I think for the majority of his career, he's been uh, available. So you're talking, you know, age 32 and age 33 seasons. What are you getting from Julio? I think mm-hmm. that's that's fair to question. But I happen to still think he could be a very serviceable player and especially at that tag like I don't think you should be wanting to view Julio Jones as the best receiver in the league in his mid-30s if he's a compliment to another young wide receiver maybe that's an A.J. Brown or maybe that's a D.K. Metcalf I saw that floating around this weekend as well then I'm in on that because he'll he won't have to be the Julio Jones of old so yeah this year you're staying a little bit based off of that cap hit that you mentioned but I do think you know before he gets stage 35, he's going to offer some pretty productive football the way he has his entire career. I disagree on his durability. I I, I think he's very risky. Uh, from a durability standpoint, I, I but he's do. played though, right? Like yeah, that's he's been on the he's, field. Like I, I'll be with you if he didn't play a, a ton of games. But his hamstring is pulled like every three weeks. Like I, I'm honestly, and it's not. It happens. There's a weakness there. He's had hamstring problems for ten years. But AR, um, to me, if it hasn't cost him time on the field, then well, I can't I think it have has. beef with it. I, well, he's played in – he's averaged probably almost 13 games a season, if probably more back. than that. I, I, boy, if, it doesn't, if you're right, then I'll, I'll bow to that. But I, I feel like um, he just seems like he's always ready to go on – the bench, like for an injury, like there always so, seems to be something there. But I'll 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 look at I'll look at uh, games missed, and then we'll uh, we'll let that be the tiebreaker. So, so let me ask you this mm-hmm. though, real quick, because like I think you know you and I obviously mm-hmm. would want Julio Jones sure. on our team. It's just coming down to what would we be willing to give mm-hmm. up? Right. And I think I saw this weekend that you know if they're asking for a one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Atlanta, you should start there. But if I'm another team, I think I'm comfortable right now giving up a second-round pick for Julio Jones, especially if I'm in win-now mode. If I'm one of those teams that's in the top five of the conference and I view Julio Jones as the piece that's going to put me over the top, then I think you got to make that call. So I think I'd be okay coughing up a second and a fourth or whatever I'm going to have to do. First-round pick gets a little weird for me. That's where it gets a little dicey yeah, for a guy north of 30. Well, no, that's what Atlanta no. wants. I saw that that's a report. Yeah. I don't think they're getting it either, but I'm just saying what I'd be comfortable giving up would be probably a second and a four for Julio Jones if I can get that done. He's played of the 16 game seasons over the last 10 years, he's played four of them where he's been available for all and now he's 32. And but he, I'm good with 13 games yeah. played, 14, like I'm good with that and then in this sport, if guys are playing f- averaging 14 games a year and in the NFL... I'm okay with that. Like, I, I don't think that's what I'm concerned about when it comes to Julio Jones. Got a little uh, breaking I, news here, Maddie. Not on the uh, NFL, but it was a topic that I brought up earlier about Naomi Osaka. Okay. And this is what I said earlier, and now I have to praise her. She's withdrawing from the French Open. And sure. she's going to take some time away from the court, and that's what she needs to do. This, to me, this could never have been about... I don't want to answer questions about playing on clay. 
Well, her she sister said never, that. Her could, sister yeah, said that. Yeah, it could that. never have been just that. It just, it, and and that to me, that's why I was like, I cannot get behind that. But if it's now, if you if you're seriously having some issues and you want to take some time away, and now that she's withdrawing from Grand Slam, now maybe she thought this was impending, this was imminent because they had threatened it anyway, and she was probably like, well, I'm not going to just give in and go talk to the media. Like, I can't say before the tournament, I'm talking to the media. You find me, and now you're threatening to kick me out of the tournament. Okay, I'll talk. I think this makes sense for her now to uh, to do this. Now, whether the French Open is really going to flex on her and, and boot her out, uh, maybe she saw that as being what was going to happen. Anyway, I just wanted to give that. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. I just no, no, we you're talked good. about it earlier, so all good, that brother. just broke. No, no, all good, yeah. brother. Yeah, that that's... Uh... You know, it's important for her to take care of herself, right? Like that to me is what this comes down to. And if she's struggling right now with whatever angle of the sport or the media that's causing her stress when it comes to her mental health, step away from the game. The game will be back. She's, it will be around. She's young enough. Obviously, she's got a ton of tennis to be played throughout her career. So yeah, take care mm-hmm. of yourself. And I don't know if a lot of people do that enough sometimes, no. right? Where we just push through and push through and push through because that's that kind of the cool yeah. thing to do. We've all been told to do that since we were kids tough it out yeah so sometimes you got to hit pause and say i need a minute and and i'll be back so good for her that she's uh putting this thing on ice right now every every generation is going to go through what's their normal i think this this latest generation has gone through this cycle of social media and what it's like to live your life on display and if you don't live your life on display you feel empty inside. Like there's something about this social media, about this feeling compelled to tweet and to tell people what you're doing all the time and what you're eating and where you're going. There is some good with that. I'm all for it. Take some pictures on vacation. Throw it out there. That's fine. Do some things. And I'm not telling people how to run their lives. I'm just saying that my point is that we are now in a generation that has to hear from people that don't matter to you a lot. And that's dangerous. And that can be mentally taxing. The The pro athlete was always the, it was the media, 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 media. Now it's everywhere. Now it's everyday fans. Now it's people that have ulterior motives. People just want to hurt you to feel better about themselves. Damaged people. And I don't know if that's what she's experiencing. I have no idea. But I'm just I'm generalizing to the point where I think this society is very much on display 24 7, 365. And I think it becomes your normal. You become inundated with just messages from everywhere on every topic. And I think sometimes, like you said, you just got to take a time out yeah. and try. And it's very difficult. It's difficult for me. It's probably difficult for you. You're, I think you're better at it than most. Um, but we have now learned to not be present. Our present is social media. Our is, is having a thought on everything or feeling compelled to have one. And these people like a young, a young tennis pro like her, what's she in her early twenties? Um, withdrawing from the French open because she doesn't want to speak to the media because she's having health pro or mental health. She cited mental health concerns. We don't know what those are specifically, nor are we entitled to probably know. But the second she kept playing and wanted to do both, this was becoming a problem uh, in this world. 
And so here we are, and now she's she's withdrawn. So I'll just speak from kind of my perspective because, like, you know, I'm of the age to where, like, you're, you're kind of referring to people in my age and younger because that's uh, what we grew up on, even going back to MySpace. That was a thing that kind of kicked this thing off, and Facebook obviously wrapped up into all of that. But it did get to a point, and you know working with me, AR, where a couple years ago, I just stepped away from it. Mm-hmm. I, I just stepped away from it, deleted my Instagram, deleted my Facebook. Only reason why I hold on to Twitter now is to you know promote some of the things we yep. do, and if you have breaking stories or whatever, you can go hop on there for that. But it got me to a point to where I was just, I felt like I was in the sunken place. Yep. I really did, where I was just, this is a continuous cycle of this and that, and it's just the same stuff all the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't need to be wrapped up in that, because for me, it wasn't doing anything. It wasn't doing anything for me to continue to hit refresh on Twitter and Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook and just do the hat for so many hours out of the day. So it's different for everyone. And that works for me. It helps me to be able to get away from that world or our world when I'm done with our show. Mm-hmm. Like it works for me, but for other people, that's mm-hmm. what they love to do. And it's just all I think about finding a balance because it could mm-hmm. definitely weigh on you. And especially now where there's so much negative out there and negative stuff seems to get romanticized more than people doing positive things in the world as well so for her uh, i'm glad that she is taking this step and i hope she can get right we've seen other athletes and other sports do it kyrie irving comes to mind this season he's taking a, a couple uh steps away from the team this year to get himself right and to stay kind of in the middle of the fairway if you will so I'm all for AR people doing what's best for you. And I think sometimes that gets lost, not in the real world, but well, not only in the real world, yeah. in the, but in the sports world as well. The media, there's still an important role. And, and, and a lot of old school athletes, especially tennis players, will tell you that they're, they're, they're telling the story and trying to grow that game is still important. And I thought having one foot in and one foot out, what Osaka was trying to balance was very difficult. Skipping press conferences, but still playing. It's a Grand Slam event. Um, they're trying to promote the event. Um, she's an excellent player. Do Not- they care though? Ar, she isn't an excellent player. Like that's where I. Oh, that's they would have kept get- finding people that didn't show up. I'm sure they can't okay. set the precedent where they're just picking and choosing who they sure. find. Right, right, right. Um, I-, I just don't think the level of care would be there if uh, player player ranked 132nd as opposed to a top five player in the world. It would have been this. a blip. You're correct. Yeah. The fine, the $15,000 fine on, on player X would have been a blip and it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have Billie Jean King weighing in on it. You wouldn't yeah, have sure. people of, right. um, you know, talking about it as much, but then that's par for the course, right? I mean, the sure. more popular are the more, I mean, what about Tim Tebow? Let's take Tim Tebow for, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. If this is a 34 year old, dude that played quarterback once um wasn't as big of a name had the same success um but didn't have the off the field persona and urban gave him a tryout would would there be the same no it's because it's Tim Tebow Go ahead, well, well I was just going to say, Brandon Jacobs says he's yeah. serious about trying to get back into play and maybe some DE so where's that of his size. so where's that story it got a little bit of run but yeah, not as little, nearly as enough correct and that's that's I think the point is the more popular popular you are or polarizing, then that's going to happen. I mean, Brandon, you're right. He's on. He's 38. Like he's he'll be 39. So that too is um, a beast. I mean, yes, he's also <laughs> goodness six four two seventy or whatever he <laughs> is. A freak show. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's it. So Tim Tebow, you know, uh, yeah, suiting up and Brandon Jacobs comeback. 
they're not getting equal run yet um, because we to seem it. to there are levels to it. All right, we'll come back, play a little truth. Rothman and Ice on the fan. This is Ohio State football coach Ryan Day on your home for Buckeye football, the fan. The fan. Ohio sports destination. Tell the truth with Rothman and Ice. All right, CB, take over, big guy. Yeah, so our guy Maddie's back in the house, so I decided let's do a little bit of trivia today. Uh-huh. So it's been over tw- it's been over twenty years since an interior defensive lineman has gone first overall. Can you name who that player was and what team selected him? Over twenty years, interior defensive line. It's actually been twenty-seven years exactly. Oh God. Um. So somewhere in the nineties. Back in the nineties. Uh, yeah, I can name him. Because I covered him. Oh, man. So should I recuse myself from the trivia? You tribute? know what? In the break, I said, it's likely I, you're going to get it. I want right. Matt to get How it. How about that hint, Maddie? I covered him. Did I cover him or did I cover his drafting? It was right. I'll give you. It was right around the time I started to work for Channel 6. Goodness gracious. So that should maybe give you enough. Ugh. Just Boy. to take it the extra mile, kid. So is this... Did you give me a Buckeye? Did you give me somebody from the Big Do you want 10? me to give you more of a hint? Please, because I'm I'm drawing blanks right here, big dog. Um, if he wouldn't have given you the position, I think you would have guessed Orlando Pace. But yeah. since he gave you the position of defensive line... How far do you want me to go with the hints? You tell me. You want me to go with the NFL team that drafted him? Yes. Okay. The Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. I don't know. I got nothing. I can't cook up anything right now. Yeah. Wh- who is this guy? His name was one Big Daddy Dan Wilkinson. Okay. I never would have guessed Dan right. Wilkinson. Yeah. Never. Big and call. that, my boy, is a damn truth. Okay. All right. In another draft question, okay. there's been two AFC teams and one NFC team that have never picked first overall in any draft in the common draft era. Can you name oh those three teams? What, what years are we are we talking? Not Super Bowl era. These are te- like 1960s on. Okay, so go roughly Super Bowl era. Can I get Pittsburgh as one of the AFC teams? That can't be it. It's only one or uh, two AFC teams, and no, that's well, not correct. No, because they drafted... Bradshaw number one, I think. Just thought they had so much success. You're yeah, in no, the right. I, di- I, I you're, in, actually, you're in the right area code. I will give you I that. I think your I think your brain was taking you in the right direction. You're right. Teams that shouldn't be picking first ever. Um, let me ask you this: Is there a trick to this question? Is this something about expansion or movement or whatever? Because one team, I would say yes. All right. Okay, I think. Well, we know we know the. Uh, I mean, we know the Texans. They've they've picked. They've picked yeah, number right, one. We know. So right. we got get Clowney. We got to yeah. take them out of the mix. Who did they get? Mario. Mario Williams. Yes, they got Mario. Also, that's yeah. right. Good. Good. Well okay. done. NC Brain's State. Working, it's working yes. a little bit today. Uh we know the Raiders. No. Two AFC. One Two AFC teams. He said we had the division, so we've already knocked off Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, and we know Cleveland. So is it Baltimore? Baltimore is one of them, yes. Okay. Well, there's the tricky one there. That is the tricky one. Right. Because didn't... Wasn't Elway drafted by Baltimore? The Colts. Oh, there's the, there's the trick. You mean the Ravens. 
That is okay, correct. It's yes. not technically yes. Baltimore. You see what he's making us work. You were headed hard. down the right path. You absolutely were. So we got the tricky right. one out of the way All right. in the, in the tricky, AFC. It's tricky to rock around. I'll give you a hint. The two remaining teams are both out west. AFC and NFC? That is right. AFC and NFC. They've Chargers? Ne- they've never picked number one. Chargers. Right uh, division, wrong team. Yeah, no. They took Eli. Um, right division. But he, you know what? By the way, that would have been a great trick because they drafted Eli. Never played for him. He's really messing with us today. Well, we're in the right division. So AFC All West, right, give Broncos, me the, give me Chiefs, teams. Raiders. Those are our three Broncos, options. Broncos, Chiefs, Raiders. The Chiefs, the Raiders definitely have, so mix them out. The Chiefs, they took some lineman somewhere along it's the line. It's got to be Denver. Right? It's Denver. Is it the Denver Broncos? Correct. It's the Broncos. The well, Chiefs took Eric Fisher. Yep. What about who did I say got drafted by? Uh, that was it. Elway that got drafted by the Colts. The, the Colts the and traded Colts. him to. Correct. Okay. Oh, this is way too. I mean, I think we should get some halfway decent points. Is, are we done now? Do we get? No, them we got to find an oh. NFC team too. Out we west, the Ravens and NFC, NFC, yeah, NFC. Okay. Bring up the standings. Help us out. Bring up the standings, Maddie. Then we'll kind of go I through. Can't, this. I don't have enough time for. I don't have tabs for that. Time, man. Nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for the standings. All right, in the NFC, I, yeah. I, CB. I'm not liking you today. By the way, he said out this. west, Maddie. We can we can process we can process this down. NFC teams out west. Let me name them for you. Uh, Seattle, the Rams, Arizona, San Francisco. Everybody in the west. Well, pick one, big dog. Who are you feeling? Not San Fran. Uh, it's not the Rams. They drafted. Was it, they draft number one. Did Kyler Murray go number one? He did. I'm seeing some nods in there. Uh, what was? The, oh, Rams. Rams. It's either between the. Oh, it can't be the Rams. Yeah. J- uh, Jared Goff went right. one. Uh, it's got to be the Seattle Seahawks. And you got it. You nailed it. Well, you gave us a out west. You gave us. <laughs> we were going to get there with the hint you gave us. Ooh. I'm Stress. done now. Show over. Man. Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe. There, there is one fun quick one. Good. There is one fun quick one okay. I do want to ask you. because the Indy, okay. the Indy 500 was yesterday. and They ask every competitor what would be their brand of milk or would they do chocolate Ooh, or what chocolate. would they do for their drink if they want. Sexual chocolate. I want to ask you, if you had won the Indy 500, what would have been your Ooh. beverage of choice? Oh. Oh, I'm popping bottles, man. I'm not drinking milk. Like, Champagne? You're me, I, yeah, if I can go away from milk, we're popping bottles. I need my family up there. I need my friends up it, there. Right? And I want yeah. everybody up there with a bottle of the finest champagne mm, we can just find. Just spraying it everywhere. Don't make it rain, baby. So yeah. give me champagne. Uh, I want people to come to the celebration that are excited about it. You know? It's kind of like the Pepsi and the ring dings. Like, you don't feel like you should bring it, but you're going to be the hero. Um, what would be, what would be good? Um, let's give everybody a, uh, let's go with like a chocolate malt. That's it for me. Everybody gets a chocolate malt. That's the, the beverage of choice. If I win the 500, it's like which milkshake? is close. Yeah. Milkshake. Okay. okay. Yeah. That works. Bring everybody to the that. yard.
Yeah, I'm not mad. Can I right? get a little Oreo crumbs? <laughs> yeah, I hear what you say. I like that. <laughs> Can I get a little uh, Oreo crumbs in mine? That's all Eddie, I'll request. You want to do blizzards? We could do blizzards. Now Is we're talking. Would that we, be a loophole, CB, a beverage of choice at the Indy 500? It's got milk in it, so yeah. Let's, let's do okay. it. Milk. It's milk, yeah. Blizzards for everyone. Uh, we'll visit with our guy Lap, Dave Lapham, next. Uh, kind of revisit the offseason for Cincinnati. Rothman and Ice on the fan. If you consider yourself a Buckeye fan, you've come to the right place. This is your heritage sports talker and home of Ohio State Athletics. The fan. Ohio sports destination. At Midas, you'll find all the expertise you need. From brakes to tires to oil to everything. We're locally owned and operated and promise to tell you what needs fixing now and what can wait. Come on by and see us. Trust the Midas touch. A former country club tennis pro and a high school baseball player. Don't be too impressed. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back in. Anthony Rothman, Matty Hayes, and our guy down in the Queen City, radio analyst for the Cincinnati Bengals. He is Dave Lapham. Lap, good to have you. Anthony, Matt, how you guys doing? Doing fine. Thank you for jumping on, giving us your feel. We know that a lot of hype around Joe Burrow being back with that brace, but let me start with the offensive line um, right in your wheelhouse. That second-round pick, Jackson Carmen. you think he'll be the starter at right guard when, when this thing kicks off? I think there's a chance. You know, I don't think they're going to hand it to him. I think that, uh, you know, their feeling is that everybody has to earn it and uh, earn their positions and they basically lined up uh, with, quote, like a first unit just to start off mini camps. Um, and that had Xavier Suofilo at right guard and Quentin Spain at left guard. And Adenogy in the number two group, Adenogy played uh, right guard and Michael Jordan played left guard. And, and then, you know, to, just to get some, uh, you know, some reps, Jackson Carmen is in there at guard. So, you know, he's at the, at the lower end of the totem pole, but that doesn't mean that uh, by next week, <laughs> that will shift quite a bit. I think, you know, they want to see how many guys have position versatility. They have as many as seven offensive linemen that's played tackle, either in the National Football League or during the course of their college career. So they have guys who can play, you know, inside and outside. And then um, any of the guys that are candidates for the center position can also play guard. So that's a must in today's NFL from an offensive line standpoint, position versatility, because, you know, on, on game day, a lot of teams only activate seven. Um, so, you got to be able to play more than one spot in the league these days for sure. I'm sure Bengals fans, you know, are counting down the days. So they see that first connection in a real game between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I want to hit you up, Lap, about how you think they're going to use Jamar Chase. Is that a guy that you think uh, that he'll be inside, outside, short passing game? How do you see him being implemented in this offense this upcoming season? Yeah, I think I think any and all of it, really. I mean, I think primarily he'll probably line up as a – as the X receiver, you know, the split end in the, in the wide three wide receiver set flanker and slot on the other side. And then the split end out there by himself. And that, that's what AJ green, that's the spot that he lined up in. So I, I think Jamar chase will predominantly, you know, line up at that spot, but just like AJ, uh, he's capable of playing inside, uh, you know, motioning to any, any spot in the formation. And honestly, looking at him, um, he's, he's most dangerous, after the ball's in his hands, I mean, he's built like a fullback that runs like a 4-3, you know, 4-40. He's a unusual guy, hard to tackle, uh, very compact, you know, just over six feet tall and over, well over 200 pounds. So uh, he's, a, he's a force out there in space. 
when he has the ball in his hands. So I think they're going to try to come up with a myriad of ways to, to get the football in his hands, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, part of the running game. Uh, when they, I'm not saying line them up at running back, but, you know, reverses, um, screen passes, which is an extension of, uh, of the run game. I think they're going to try to get the ball in his hands any way they possibly can. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you and I and Maddie talked about this before the draft. You know, it was it was wasn't anything against Chase. It was like we thought they had the certainly the need at offensive line, and, and Sewell was there. Um, they don't take him; they take Chase to reunite him with Burrow. So now, you know, they've got to try to you know make something out of this offensive line because you can't have anything close to what happened when Joe was getting got injured. Uh, he's back now. You got to see him throw the football. He um, will we know Lap? what he's really made of until the bullets really start flying psychologically. I mean, he's a very tough-minded kid. Um, we know that he's going to give everything he can to, to get back to being 100%, and we hope he'll get there. But what about from the psychology of it, being able to step into that pocket and plant that left leg again? Does that take time, or is that just um, once he knows it's, it's strong and it's 100%, he's going to trust it? Yeah, I think, I think that's the big key is, um, they're they're going to go bend over backwards not to overdo it, not to do too much too soon. When he threw the ball yesterday, he didn't take any snaps under center. It was all shotgun. Um, you know, it kind of minimized the footwork, but he did, he did, you know, he'd take a shotgun snap and, and take another step drop or two and plant and transfer his weight and throw. And I was trying to think, you know, okay, if I were coming back from a knee re- uh, an ACL reconstruction, what I prefer right knee or left knee? Because, well, right knee, I got to, mm-hmm. You know, all my weight is on my back foot, and then I have to push off really hard and try to transfer. Then you go to the transfer leg, and, and, you, and you have to, you know, you flex that thing straight, and then, then it torques. So, I mean, it's six one, half does another. I mean, I, I guess mm-hmm. bottom line is you don't want either one of them injured, but you're checking boxes along the way. And I think he's at the early stages of the boxes, but the big box that has to be checked out, they, they're not coming close to letting him even be touched. Uh, you know, that when Joe Mixon lines up in the backfield, they motion them out of the backfield to make sure there are no extra feet and legs to get tangled up back there if the ball hits the ground, a poor snap or something like that. They're trying to keep them about 10 yards uh, clear of other bodies every way they possibly can. So until, in, in my mind, anybody coming back from that type of surgery, that first contact is the final box. you got to take mm-hmm. a hit. You got to go to the ground. You got to get up and say, "Yeah, okay, I survived that. That's the last box. I'm ready to roll." Lab one guy I'm really interested in is the rookie and Chris Evans out of Michigan. We saw him, you know, for a short amount of time up there playing for that team up north, and he's a guy that has a little spark to me. Like, are you fascinated at all by what he could potentially uh, bring to this offense coming out of the backfield a little bit there? Yeah, I mean, I think he could fill the role of Giovanni Bernardfield. You know, I think he's a guy that. Uh, is a natural catch of the football. Um, be interesting to see if he's as good in blitz pickup as Giovanni Bernard was, because that, that to me was the thing that separated Gio from most third down backs is he stood in there and, and stuck his you know nose right in the middle of linebackers chest and blitz pickup. I mean, he was stout, uh, unusually so, but and that, that gave them, you know, a, a very, uh, a very unique weapon because, Teams thought, okay, well, we're going to get him in a mismatch and blitz pickup situations. It really wasn't a mismatch, so that gave the Bengals a little bit of an advantage uh, in terms of getting other guys in in one on one coverages when they're trying to blitz and take advantage of Geo and, and maybe lacking in protection when he didn't. So that that part of it is going to be interesting. But man, in terms of catching the football, 
you know, it sounds trite, but it's true. I mean, he catches it with his hands. I mean, he's a very, very natural catch of the football, and, and he's really good with his routes. Um, he, you know, he's beaten linebackers and safeties routinely, and they saw that down at the Senior Bowl. That's what that really stuck out to them when he was down there. So I, I think I think he's going to have a role. And, and, you know, Gio also had a role on special teams, and uh, when you're in the situation that he's in as a late-round pick, as a running back, you are going to have to – do your share on special teams. So see see if he's uh, you know physical and, and does enough to handle that part of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds for him. But in terms of his sheer weapon out of the backfield, catching the football, and even lining him up as a slot receiver, he can definitely do that. I mean, he's cut the short space quicks. You know, he sinks his hips, get, gets in and out of cuts, gets separation, low center of gravity. I mean, he he's – I mean, he's got a, a potential to give them some significant snaps for sure. All right, we'll hit you with a final one on the other side of the ball. Um, you know, the defense was as big of a concern as maybe the offensive line. And, you know, you add Hendrickson, Ogunjobi, um, they're going to get a lot of guys back from injury. Um, what do you expect, if healthy, how much better this defense will be? Yeah, I think I think that um, the, the thing, the common denominator with all of the edge guys uh, that they got in form of defensive ends and outside linebackers that will put their hand on the ground and rush nickel packages and everything is, is how hard they play. They're all, everybody's familiar with Sam Hubbard. You guys are obviously very familiar with Sam Hubbard. Dude plays with his hair on fire. And that's what, that's what they've got. I mean, Hendrickson's uh, that way will size that will size that way. So that, that, that stood out. I mean, that stands out. And, and to me, the other thing again, is position versatility. What Luana Rumo is looking for, is what Bill Belichick has with the New England Patriots. And he's got guys that he doesn't have to substitute personnel to give you much different looks because they're so gifted and they can rush. They can set the edge in the running game. They can rush the passer and they can drop into coverage. So you can, you can morph from a 3-4 to a 4-3 to everything in between, 4-2-5, whatever you want to do. And, and, um, and you have to be, have intelligent players that have uh, athleticism that gives them position versatility, and you can cause a lot of problems. And Belichick does such a great job of taking the best thing that you do away uh, offensively with his defensive game plan, and he can change game plans from a series to series basis without even substituting personnel, basically because these guys can do more than one thing, and and that gives them uh, such a big advantage. So I think that's what Lou Anarumo is trying to get to and uh, with with some of the personnel that they've they picked up in the last couple of free agencies and, and drafts, uh, I think they're getting closer and closer to that. So he wants that that you know front multiplicity. He wants to have offensive linemen coming off the field, taking their helmets off, scratching their head, and a coach sit, sit, sitting there in front of them with a grease pad, uh, trying to you know figure out what the, how the hell to block it, you know, and and have them just in a state of confusion. And and that's uh, that's what he's trying to get accomplished. And It'll be interesting to see if he's getting closer. Yeah, Good stuff. Good stuff with Dave Lapham, uh, former Bengal radio analyst as well. We thank you, Lap. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great one, guys. Appreciate it. You as well. Lap was on the Bryant Heating Coin Systems fan guest hotline. When we come back, NFL two-minute drill. One team has emerged as the favorite to land Julio Jones. We'll tell you which team that is next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. News, opinions, and insight all before breakfast. Rise and shine with morning juice. Weekdays starting at 6. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Hey. It's time for the NFL.
NFL two-minute drill. Sponsored by Dr. Mark Levy. Stop snoring and start sleeping now. Visit sleepbettercolumbus.com today. All right, NFL two-minute drill. You've been following the Julio Jones saga. We'll see. I know it's all about Maddie on paper, what the Falcons can get. Uh, the missing piece to this for fans may be if the Falcons lose the trade, basically give up him to get a second rounder, they win with the cash consideration. And I, that's a tough sell to your fan base. This that, that cap relief is a big deal. Fans look at things very cut and dried. What player we gave up, what we got back. They don't look at those ancillary stuff like about cap relief, but dudes, as we've said earlier, set to make 15 mil this year. You can unload that and get a second rounder. While it won't look good on perception, it may be good on paper for the Falcons. The Tennessee Titans have emerged, I guess, as the potential favorite to land him. Your thoughts on that? I think it makes a ton of sense. It's been a team that we brought up a couple times with what they've lost this offseason, right? With both Corey Davis and Jonu Smith mm-hmm. leaving in the same offseason. Somebody's got to be opposite A.J. Brown that you absolutely respect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have that dude on the roster right now. Josh Reynolds, maybe a name you recognize if you play fantasy, but he hadn't done a ton of anything right now, so he's not that guy. So yeah, I'm all in. And you talk about an offense that has just some freak shows physically. You put him out there with A.J. Brown and his size and speed, and we know what Derrick Henry's doing mm-hmm. coming out of the backfield with his size and speed. Yeah, if you're a DB, you're going to be making business decisions when you see those dudes because those dudes are some thick dudes. They are. Those dudes are in the lab, in the weight room, throwing that iron around. So Tennessee, they've been kind of in the mix mm-hmm. over the last couple of years in the AFC. If I'm a Titans fan, this is what we need to do to keep ourselves in that conversation. And real quick, I wanted to weigh in on what you said about Atlanta because I'm with you, and it also becomes an even harder sell when he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of a franchise, right? Julio Jones is one of the most successful Falcons to ever play, and we're talking about having to give that guy up for financial stuff. If I'm a Falcons fan, I'm like, hey, let's find another way if we can. I don't want to give up him just yet. They've been linked to him, and the second this came out, uh, Tennessee was on the list. Mm -hmm. As you said, they got a big need for wide receivers after Brown this offseason, they didn't address it. Uh, now they have an opportunity to grab him uh, and create that super duo that you're talking about. And then you, you pair that with D. Henry and his ability. Now all of a sudden you really got something. And they've yeah. been a knocking on the door kind of team. And now they've got a pretty they've got a really good defense. Uh, they've added some to that defense. Uh, you get Julio Jones, we have to launch them into Super Bowl contending status. Uh, I, I'm not there yet. Oh, come I on. I wouldn't be there. No, not with Terry really? Not with that defense. Or no, not Contender? Yet. Not a contender, man? In the playoffs, for sure. Could I'd say they got to be in the playoffs, but not not the Super Bowl. And, and also, AR, I think another thing that makes sense with this whole kind of Julio Jones puzzle is the new head coach in Atlanta, mm-hmm. former offensive coordinator for the Titans. So they're obviously comfortable probably doing business because they know they've got a healthy relationship there. As long as you said no, I'm going to look up the NFL futures so we can we can put this in the back of our brains. The Tennessee Titans are right now 33 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. If they get Julio Jones, just keep that number in mind when I look at this again. Yeah. I'm going to need both of you guys. Okay. I remember Two men to doing one. the job of one man. 
Two, uh, two men in a truck. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so t- Titans right now thirty three to one. Let's see if that moves at all. Okay. If he does land there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping we get this. You know, at some point this week, we've always had had, had kind of had June one and a little bit uh, of time around that is maybe the time where this thing would go down. But I don't think it'll be a Falcon. I think that's for sure done. Now we just got to figure out where he goes. And I'm with you, man. Tennessee, the fit it seems to make sense. They got a hole there for sure. And oh, A.J. Brown's yeah. all in with him coming in, yeah. right? Saying, hey, you got it, man. If you want to be the number one, he, you can be the number one. He wasn't giving up his number, though, was he? <laughs> I don't think he was. Who was that? Was Somebody that num- Was that a winning. number? Am I thinking of the wrong dude? No, you're right, because okay. A.J. Brown wears 11, yeah. and I brought up, hey, maybe this is the reason why he wears number 11 is because of Julio. So that that is very interesting. But, hey, he's saying, more he importantly. He will give it up. He will? I just, yep. I just okay, looked good. it up. Good. Even uh, better. Let's get a quote on that. Oh, he tweeted. I don't know how I missed this. He tweeted, well, I missed it. last day. It was in April. I would give up number 11 if this happens. Playing alongside my idol would be crazy. There you go. No team is stopping this. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. I, I pumped the brakes on the no team is stopping this. Okay. I thought maybe you added that in there. No, he, he did. Okay. Don't put that evil on me. I didn't do that. I won't, Ricky. Yeah. Probably. I will. Uh, they've, they've, they've got a need. Corey Davis, as you mentioned. Uh, you, Josh Reynolds is there, right? Yeah. He's Dude just from the Rams. Uh, like he's him? Just a guy. Just a yeah. guy. Yeah, he's just a guy. Uh, it was a need. Need for speed. This could, I, this could have it. Boy, that would be nice. Man. Brown and Jones. I t- and Ooh, I also that the best Seattle. deal in the NFL? Um, they got something to say about it. Yeah. They definitely got something to say about it. If we're talking wide receiver duos... Yeah, you, you get A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, you were right there in the thick of that conversation. That could be something fun for us to walk through. CB jump up and say Landry and OBJ, but I'm not sure. Okay, hey. You know, he didn't maybe. say that. I said it for him. Okay, all right. Probably wants to see a little bit more from OBJ you know, as a Browns fan. For some yeah. reason, Browns fans hate Odell for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know I'm if joking. they – I don't know. I just think they saw they could live without him. And it maybe got them like, okay, well, life after Odell may not be as bad as they yeah, thought. Be maybe. careful. Just no, be no, careful. I know. I'm not saying not they don't you. want I'm him. Just I'm just saying. saying that they saw a little glimpse, a little glance Armstrong at life after. Sure, sure. I get it. Uh, I'm going to go through these real fast. I know we got to get out of here in a minute. Um, who would be? Who would be the? Well, I would. I would dare to put Reek and Kelsey. As the best duo right now. Does Travis Kel? Does he count if we're throwing tight ends in? Just kind of that's man, a little loophole in there. No, think? I mean because if we want to bring in the tight ends, then that's all day long with Cav, with Hill and Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Those dudes are uh, unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, it I mean duos. Been, it would have been Evans and uh, I. Here's what I'll say: AR. I forgot who, who's the. Who it's got to be the Tampa wide receivers, yeah. Because I think maybe that's Antonio I mean. Antonio and... Brown's going to remind the world this year, and that's a terrifying thing to think about when you've got Godwin and Mike Evans. Already. Godwin, that could. If think Antonio Brown yeah. gets anywhere close to his form in Pittsburgh, yep. forget it. It's over. All right, we, we got to cut loose. Everybody enjoy your family time. Maddie and I will come back tomorrow at high noon with CB as well. Take care. Thanks for listening. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.